<laughs> that is very, very clever. Very clever. I got you. <laughs> so, Sheikh, they put out a study that said Muslims are twice as likely to commit suicide as any other religious demographic. I mean, if you're going to say something, you got to have the, the, the bills to back it up. Like, you know, you, you, you have to anticipate that whatever you say might cost you your job. Let's be honest. This conversation gets people canceled. Right? We have to be super careful right, about not saying anything negative. You're a Muslim here, you live in relative comfort, relative safety, while people are getting bombed, and all of a sudden you're, you're oppressed, you have anxiety, you have depression, uh, this hadith is bothering you, and you're getting unmasked. Change your vocabulary. Like, we're taught to see the world through a lens of optimism, taught to have personal love towards people, right? But this woke culture is about su'adlan, right? It's everything is negative. And it's not your fault. There's never any agency in you. It's if only the powers were on top. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to another episode of the Prophetic Mentality Podcast. I'm your host, Amr Mabrook, joined by my co-host Munir with a very special guest, Sheikh Osman Omerji. How are you doing today, Sheikh? Alhamdulillah. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. Alhamdulillah. Long time coming. Long, Long time coming. <laughs> Sorry, man. So, uh, Sheikh Osman, you're the Director of Research and Development at Yaqeen currently, correct? Uh, research and of Survey, Research and Evaluation. Survey, Research and Evaluation. Oh. Yes. Okay, sorry, I got a call here. Uh, yes, and today we're going to be talking on the topic of essentially just masculinity, men. Uh, um, what's where, going on? What's up? Where, where have all the men gone? That's the question. Where have all the men gone, Sheikh? That's really where we're going to get to. Where have all the men gone, and why is Andrew Andrew Tate as popular as he is? Um, so, Munir, you have some questions to get us started off today. Yes, yeah, so let's let's set the stage a little bit. And you, you're on the ground a lot, so you get questions all the time. But we have this weird thing where if we look at where are most young men listening to, what's their media outsource? You have Joe Rogan, Andrew Tate, Daniel Hukikachu. Um, these seem to be uh, Jordan Peterson. These are the, all the big voices that as a Muslim man, for some reason you're, you're getting their clips in your algorithm, you're listening to them, you're, you're like, hey, you know, that kind of makes sense, that makes sense. Why am I not hearing this elsewhere? You put Jordan Peterson in there too? Yeah, I put Jordan Peterson okay. in there. No problem with that. And, and then on the other end, we have, when you look at Muslim, the shiuch, the big celebrities, what's, who's their main demographic? Maybe majority woman. So why is it, why aren't the men looking at this? And then on the other hand, why are the women, what are they not getting? that they have to go to their Muslim sheikh as opposed to their husband or their father, et cetera. So what's going on, sheikh? Laying the groundwork. That's how you're gonna open us, man? Yeah. Dang, going heavy. Give me some, slow, like, give me a softball, man. <laughs> How's your day? No, no, sheikh, yeah, right, you know this, sheikh. This is alhamdulillah, So, full disclaimer, so uh, I'm 40 years old, right? I'm considered a geriatric millennial. That's a term they've been thrown around geriatric. these days. Yeah. Uh, but Sharia-wise, you're still a youth. Alhamdulillah, right? we're at the peak. Inshallah. At the peak. Uh, yeah, that's youth, it. That's you know? it. He, this is actually manhood. Forty is manhood. <laughs> exactly. He just hit it. Um, and so these conversations that we're having right now, like these social media personalities, these YouTube personalities, uh, they are very popular with a younger demographic, especially yes. right? those who are forty and older. Not as much plugged into this type. So, so me personally, like I didn't know who Andrew Tate was until a couple months ago when all these young brothers are talking about him and this and that and. Um, so why? The big question you ask is why, right? This is 20, 30 years in the making, right? This is not like, hey, all of a sudden, like, this guy went viral and now everyone's like into him, right? There has been, in our Western culture, uh, I'd say in the U.S., but now, of course, globally, a slow, consistent process of feminism, which has not only shaped how women see the world, 
but kind of how men are also acclimated to see themselves, right? You can't just like break these apart, right? So men have been told for years and years and years that so much about them is wrong and bad, right? The way that they, they are too rough, right? They don't sit quietly enough, right? They're not respectful enough to their elders. They don't read enough, uh, you know, fill in the blank for all these things that are good. For some reason, they've got that signal since they were children, either from their parents or from their school teachers through pop culture that, you know what, you're just not good enough for something. Now, what does that do to a human being? It creates this vacuum in their heart that, you know, I don't want to feel like I'm a loser, right? And now somebody comes along and says that it's not you that's wrong. It's everybody else that's wrong. And the whole world has conspired against you, right? And if, and if only we regain, you know, like our place in the world, right, then the natural order will be there, right? And this is a story that even though like they're so oversimplifying it, like you can see how that would appeal to a young disenfranchised man, right? I mean, even think about, to take away, let's step back. This is not like a Muslim problem. This is like a typical white American who went to high school and like goes and works down the street, like with no college degree, who's making it in the world. And now that same person is not making it. So what is his explanation? There's all these societal factors that have conspired to pretty much make my life miserable, right? And so the Muslims were just a part of this fabric, right? So yeah, essentially, I, I like the, the the trope here, you know, the, the typical white American who's, you know, maybe goes through high school and he's, he's just working some mediocre job and he can't make it. Uh, and then you're lost. So you gravitate to one of two things. You either gravitate to the left where you become a woke person and I'm going to, you know, get rid of my white guilt and this is just my place in the world. Or you can become a super crazy conservative, you know, right extremist. And then you go shoot up someplace because your problems are caused by influx of immigration whatever right so as muslims we are not essentially detached from this narrative right so how do we kind of situate ourselves how do we better ourselves yeah. in this situation yeah, just look at it. and i want to you just said <clears throat> a narrative what you just mentioned was the narrative uh and that's it's a very dangerous narrative as well right and think about even this notion that how many like you know kids have gone around and shot up places like this is like 0.0001%. So we're not saying gun violence is not a problem in America, but this pink, this picture is painted that like every young man is a potential like shooter, right? Uh, and that again, makes kids wonder like, am I a potential shooter, right? And so mm. you have a lot of self doubt with this as well, right? The second thing is the issue of going to the other side to the left. This is not an option for people who are not privileged. Having white guilt is me being like, you know, because of my whiteness, I'm on top of the world. I didn't really deserve this. So I feel so bad. So let me open some doors for you. You're talking about people who are like, what are you talking about white privilege? Like my dad used to have like no degree and he was able to get married and buy a home and have three kids and have a picket fence. He was chilling. And I followed the script and I got nothing. What am I guilty of, right? Mm. So there's no choice to actually to go on the white guilt side. It's almost like there's only one side to go to actually, which is the conservative side, right? Mm. Um, so for the Muslims, go back 20 years in the making. You know, when I was 20 years old, right? And you know, 9-11 hits. Muslims were not liberal 20 years ago, right? Not at all, right? <laughs> you know, we voted for George Bush, right? You know, like, mm -hmm. you know, like it, was a, it, was, <clears throat> it was impossible to fathom like a Muslim would be like this liberal Democrat, right? And even the Democratic Party was not that left as they are today, right? So for the Muslim youth, it's like, okay, where do we go? Like we live in this country, it's politically polarized. And the right has become crazy Islamophobic since 9-11 especially. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, we've been told for 20 years by CARE, by MPAC, by all these institutions, 
that our home is with the left, right? We can share in the tolerance, so on and so forth. We can find friendships and allies. And while I don't question the intentions that that started with, this has snowballed into, they're not just our allies, we are them, right? <laughs> and so for the Muslim youth, that's what's been happening for 20 years. And I think now some of them are waking up and be like, wait a minute, this is not working well for us. And what's the reaction? Anytime you have an extreme reaction one way, the human nature is they end up going to the other side of it, right? Mm-hmm. So now it's like running away from the left <clears throat> and the woke culture to the right culture. The right culture, right? Joe Rogan's, right? You know, and, and yeah. the Jordan Petersons and their, and their ilk, right? So is it a conspiracy? Or are there points, are there legitimate, just like women had, maybe it was cough drop, <laughs> legitimate grievances in the past and they try to address it through feminism and yeah. first wave, second wave. Are there legitimate grievances men have? Are, or is it all just crazy? These men need to just, you know, suck it up yeah. and deal with the world as it is. Are they just weak now? What happened? Yeah, great question. Um, depends who you ask, right? <laughs> so you ask the feminist and the reality is, no, you men dominate the world. Look, all the CEOs, mainly you guys are men, right? You look around, look at the amount of billionaires, they're mostly men. So this narrative is being pushed by one side and even you can find academic papers to support this because research is not, you know, it's not neutral as we'll talk about, right? You know? <laughs> you know? Um, Foreshadowing. Yes, exactly right. So. That narrative is out there, but when you look at the hard data over the last 20, 30 years, there's a clear trend globally. Again, this is not a US trend, uh, that boys and young men are actually falling behind prior generations in terms of all the factors of well-being, yeah. mental health, educational attainment, right, income, right, so on and so forth. So now this is important. Because young men are declining in all these things, doesn't automatically mean, just by definition, that women are thriving as well. It could be where everyone is declining, right? But we are finding when you compare between men and women that typically the schooling system has led to women thriving a whole lot more than men thriving. Now, women actually do have mental health problems at, at substantially, uh, actually some mental health problems at higher rates than men. But sure, society definitely, without a doubt, is failing boys, according to my own opinion and substantial research, which many authors, non-Muslim and Muslim, have spoken about. And And this is... You know, this is not to just say, oh, boys are failing. We need to give more resource to boys. And it's we have to understand that in a society that is made up of men and women and the core unit of that society is the family, which is started by a man and a woman. If half of that is not doing well, then that just propagates everywhere else. Right. So it's in the best interest of the women to also make sure that the men are doing good and vice versa. So it's not a competition per se, right? Well, it's a gender war in America, unfortunately, again. And Muslims have, are in that war space, or we're in the arena. And it's because the, the genders in Western discourse are at odds with one another. It's all about, you know, it's a doggy dog world, right? Essentially, okay. right? You know, so women felt they were behind. They had to move up the ladder. And so the enemy is whoever's in front of me, essentially, right? And of course, in Islam, we have a complete opposite paradigm, like you just mentioned. We yeah. are partners in this, right? And <clears throat> society is going to suck if there's women who are failing, and it's going to be miserable if there's men who's failing, right? So yeah. this is a, you know, you're right. It has to be in harmony, right? Yeah, yeah. That in harmony. That, yeah. That's like, that's yeah. the word I was looking for. So you, it's interesting you say the war because we had that book you were recommending, uh, the War on Boys, mm-hmm. um, and it she tries to articulate that talking educational system particularly because you brought that up. For boys, it's failing them, as you were mentioning. And one of those ways is, if a, if you want to start an all-girls school, there's no controversy. 
everyone be like, yeah, that's great. Help the woman out. Get them going. Help. They need help. Those girls need help. But if you try and start an all boys school, sometimes you get protesters and people saying, why are you trying to advantage these boys more than they already have advantages? You keep trying to give them more and more. They don't need it. Stop this. Put them in the co-ed school or whatever else. Uh, so why, why is there always pushback? If you try to help the boys, you get pushback anyways. What's and, and what factors in uh, you mentioned it if you have more details of what is it in school that's this uh, at a disadvantage for the boys? Yeah, great. So two things. So you said the first thing is it's political pressure at the end of the day. Um, there are organizations that are out there, including ACLU and all these other women's rights organizations that actively um, push give actually threaten, you know, these programs that are focused on boys development. I don't even mean uh, boys only even when it comes to, for instance, focusing on like vocational trade school stuff, right? Because that is considered to be, well, that's where men already are. So why are you offering the space? Like the, we want to fulfill gender quotas on the other side. So this blatant irony you can see, or, or, or hypocrisy, we have programs out there for getting women into STEM. You've probably all seen commercials on this. I watched the NBA. It's like going to STEM, going to STEM, right? You know, everyone wants yeah. people in STEM, yeah. but it's not just STEM. It's women in STEM. There's nothing wrong with women in STEM, but the problem is there actually is not a deficit of women in STEM. So it's a created narrative, right? Look at my right. job. Right? <laughs> it's all. No, uh, but let's be clear. It's, so we use these terms very loosely, you know, science, technology, engineering, math. Women are very well represented in the med- medical profession, right? They're very well represented in, like, you know, biological and, and sciences and chemistry. The only place that they're not well represented typically is in some of the technology sector, right? Computer programming. But we make this blanket statement like, you know, we need more women in STEM. We need more women in STEM when really you don't. Now, what is the, so now what's the other side? Have we ever had someone say, you know what? We don't have enough male teachers out there. Go look at the schools. You look around, it's like 95% female teachers. We need a movement. We need to have an intervention. We need to have a national campaign to have more gender equality in schools. But there's, I mean, uh, there's a reason for that. (laughs) Which is what? Men tend to more often than not, you know, um, be pedophiles. So you wouldn't want them to. Whoa, that was whoa, your pivot. Whoa, yeah, that whoa, was what I'm saying. Yeah, that was not the way I thought you were gonna. In America, at least, like men teaching young boys, like that's like the whole. Well, why idea, do you think like, they'd be more likely it. to go into it then? They'd be like, "Oh, I should become a school teacher, fulfill my." And fantasy. that's why when you ever like, look in this culture, if 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 you meet somebody and he's like, "What are you?" I was like, "Oh yeah, you know, I teach kindergarten." And it's like this guy. You you automatically are a little like. Not me, I'm just saying culturally, you know, there, there's like a little bit of a social angst against that. The social angst more, I think, has to do with like, oh, you're in that kind of a job? Like, that's like a low paying job. Like, that's it's what like, I yeah, thought you were going like, to say. It doesn't pay the bills. It's not a manly job. I mean, think about nursing. 20 years ago, yeah. same thing. It's like, you know, you see a guy, it's like, what do you do? It's like, oh, I'm a nurse. It's like, you're a nurse, <laughs> right? You know, yeah. nursing is a very, you know, noble, educated profession, but it's just viewed to be as a, as a, but nursing as a makes, gender. yeah, nursing right. makes a lot of money though. Like, but but it's but it's a gendered <laughs> yeah. space, okay. right? So education is a gendered space. Where oh, even, you couldn't make it as a doctor, exactly, or a nurse, right? Yeah. yeah, right. You couldn't be a college professor. You got to be a kindergarten teacher, right? So, um, but it, the point is that we know. So these same, you know, the same culture, liberal or not, knows that strong men and male role models are required for boys to develop well. In fact, there's substantial literature out there that you know the, the non-Muslim liberals will even publish that says that when boys study with male teachers, they do better. And when women study with female teachers, they do better, right? But for some reason, an untenable solution to actually offer them, like, hey, you can actually have a teacher who matches your gender in any way, shape, or form. So I'm not advocating that that has to be the norm, but this hypocrisy that, no, we don't need to worry about 
equality in any of the men's issues and men don't need any more resources, right? You see it here in schools playing out, right? It's a big disservice. And now what's the flip side of it? The flip side of it is you have women actually who could have been very good at doing their own, you know, if they were going to go into teaching and now like science teaching and math teaching and we're like, no, 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 no. You need to go into computer programming, right? So this is really not about what's good for anybody. It's just at the end of the day, filling a gender quota for females typically, right? Yeah. And you know, the, the, the devil's advocate here playing the opposite side of the card, people will say, oh, well, you know, you want me to say now, stop, uh, to stop saying that there's a gender difference in the in in stem it doesn't exist anymore well it doesn't exist because of all the hard work that we did it's because of all the oh i heard you, you i know what i mean anecdotally not too long ago it was thank god like we had, we had to work so hard to get here i'm so glad they have these initiatives at work so that we can get our jobs or whatever else it's like you know you outnumber us at every level of academia right like you don't have to work harder the guys actually have to work really hard against the system if they want to succeed in this <coughs> whether we Hate school. If you look at the dumb class in your elementary school. It was all guys. And if you're like, I didn't know that. You were in the dumb class. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you get up to high school, they drop out at higher rates. So who's graduating higher and higher of the class? Usually the woman. Who applies to college at higher rates? Woman. Who gets into college at higher rates? Woman. Who stays in college at higher rates? Woman. Who graduates at higher rates? Woman. At every single level, Graduate it's woman. school. Level. More women. More right. women. Every single one. It's like, oh, we have to work so hard. It's like, all right, I'm not denying you have to work hard, but be like against a system no yeah no the opposite i mean when you again i'm not saying this is someone sitting in an office cleverly you know like you know mr burns like designing that like this is what we're going to do right there's people who wish that's the way it was but i think a lot of this unfolds naturally so if you have a schooling system and you have women who are in that space why because women are traditionally in education because of we talked about financial circumstances so on and so forth a whole bunch of women running a school are going to bring a culture that's woman friendly. Mm -hmm. This is not criticizing them. If we had a school and we're all a bunch of men, we're going to make it men friendly, right? But the problem is that half of your students are males, right, in these programs. So by just, it's designed, but unintentionally, it's been set up to not be optimal, right, for boys. What's an example? So I'll give you an example. So uh, I have a six-year-old, right, just finished kindergarten, right? And if anyone has young kids, what do you see? Boys will typically want to run around. They're going to want a rough house. And then in kindergarten, what do we do? We take these five-year-olds and we say, sit down on this mat <laughs> quietly for like an hour and listen to me, right? And we'll do circle time. We'll do this. We'll do that, right? Shh. Don't talk to John. Don't talk to Jimmy. Don't talk to Muhammad, right? Listen to the teacher. And when we're done, it's like, go get up. Go sit on your table. Take your worksheet out. Put your name on the top if you can. It's like, boys, this is not how they, their fitra is, right? They want to be moving. They want to be doing things, right? So you take a kindergarten kid who's a normal boy and you say, sit down and do this. And then he doesn't comply. Something's wrong with your boy, right? Yeah, he has ADHD. Exactly. He has to be medicated. And, they're being, exactly. and they're, they are being yeah. diagnosed and medicated at much higher rates, right? Yeah. So it's, no, no, the problem is not the boy. The problem is a system that the boy is functioning in. It's not designed for him, right? Yeah. So that, and that starts early. So, okay, you have a behavioral problem. Right. We need you to, you know, to fix it. And this is part of the emasculation in many ways, un unintentional. It's like, no, we need to domesticate you to be a certain way. And if you play the game, right, you move through the society. And if you don't play that game, right, you end up being disenfranchised, wanting to drop out. Right. So that that is it. So that's just one example. Another example that's very obvious is, again, what type of conversations are you going to have in a classroom with your teachers as you grow older? If you're a young man and your teachers are all women Right? How do you build that bond and that connection? How do you learn a path to manhood? We spend how many hours of our life in school? Right? You're spending eight hours a day minimum. Your dad is at work all day long in this culture. 
It's like, okay, I had eight hours at school. I didn't get any guidance from like a male figure to teach me how to become a chivalrous, decent man. I go home, I hardly have time with my own father. And now lo and behold, again, we got boys who are just completely lost, right? So it's both in the school system and then the way our culture is designed outside of the school system as well, right? Most people say, well, I hardly got to see my dad growing up, right? Again, unless your dad is in a very good profession where he's got a schedule where he can come home and see you like, you know, five o'clock on, but that's not the norm for most of us, right? Yeah, majority of our dads, they, especially being immigrant parents, they work very hard. Yeah. They work very hard. So they're probably putting in extra hours at work. Yep. They're coming home late, leaving early, and you're spending most of your day at school, after school program with friends. Uh, and then you maybe see your parents on the weekends or whatever. Um, and that's that's the reality for most of us. So, yeah. yeah. I feel like, I mean, anecdotally, I, I didn't really start to get close to my parents until after I graduated college. That's when I really had more control of my time. I could take more time off. I could go just spend time with them. But when you're just in school all the time, you just never got that family connection. Yeah, and it's interesting. So and you can probably you know the research better. I'm reading this book, Boys Adrift, Five Factors Driving the Growing Epidemic of Unmotivated Boys and Underachieving Men. Whoa, what happened to your... Did that... What'd you do? Hello? Oh, it's back. Hey. Okay. Okay. All right, uh, Boys Adrift, about this lack of motivation. And one of the factors was education. The other one was a, uh, the overprescription of medication. And what's interesting was they were looking at the side effects. I don't know, this is 10 years old, so the research is probably a lot more developed, was they found that long-term, the, when they gave it to like rats, for example, those rats stopped exhibiting any motivation, so to speak, in the long-term. So you say, yeah, this medication works. My kid's sitting still in class now. He's paying attention, and his grades are decent. But then like we got he got to college, and... He just stopped trying and he, he didn't care anymore and he just played video games all day and then he dropped out. So what's going on? So it's interesting that these things that we thought were fixing a problem end up having more long-term issues and then depression. Sometimes they have multiple medications, right? Like, oh, yeah. you're on ADHD. Here's uh, retinol and whatever else, an Adderall. Oh, and because that's going to cause a mood swing over yeah. here, here's that other mood swing drug and that's going to cause some other third issue. So here's that one. So you're on like three medications at once. Constant cocktail. Just, right? Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. never ending. I actually have a, a, a friend that I grew up with in, in, in middle school and the elementary school, middle school, and a little bit of high school. And his brother was diagnosed with ADHD uh, when we were younger. And I didn't, I didn't really understand what that meant back then. He was just always running around crazy, right? Just typical kid. And then one time I went over and then he wasn't like that anymore. And like, oh yeah, you know, he's finally medicated or something, right? That's like her, his mom told my mom. And then, uh, and then now he just, he's not, he hasn't been able to move forward in life, like as an adult. He's, he's just at home, hasn't, did not graduate college. He's just stuck. There's yeah. a whole field of medicine called yeah. iatrogenics that specifically looks into this. It's like when medical intervention actually makes the situation worse. Yeah. And this is rampant everywhere. And of course, pharma, pharmaceutical companies are not interested in, no one cares, this society in general never cares about long-term outcomes, right? Our politics, our everything about it is, Right now, the immediate, what is gonna work? I mean, we have global warming as an example, right? Just do whatever it is. Long term, <laughs> even short term. No, but the idea is like the immediate, it's just instant gratification. Like, you know, I'm a parent or I'm a teacher. I don't wanna have to take the long route yeah. to engaging this kid, changing the system, doing whatever it takes to get him to be, yeah. to thrive. You know what, give him the medication, it's gonna fix the problem for me today. Sure, it's gonna mess him up. Down, and they don't know it's probably gonna mess him up. I mean, the typical parent has good intentions. 
Because they're going to the doctor, they're going to the, yeah. exp- the subject matter experts are telling you to do this. Yeah. yeah, but the doctors, they don't always know exactly the, the long-term stuff because they're, they're, they're not sitting there with the time to let me digest and read everything that's coming out, right? These, some, so medication comes out. How many years until you figure out that it had this adverse effect, right? So today you have a new ADHD medication. I got to wait 10 years to see if the 10-year-old who took it is now messed up when he's 20, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I can't put the onus on the doctor either. It's very tough to, right? And I wonder, and we can probably touch on this more as it's kind of developed, uh, he has an interesting quote. He says, in suburban America, the, the joke is your kid is either extremely intelligent, highly gifted, or has a learning disability or both. Because <laughs> no one wants to just, just be like, my kid's average. You know, no one wants to say that. Like, no, he's so smart, top of his class. Or Miskeen, you know, ADHD, whatever, he can't focus. So he's, he's just getting by like, oh, of course. That's why your kid's not achieving, not because he's just an average kid and that's okay. You know, and I think people need to understand that if they looked at, I remember reading a study on CEOs. And looking at like their high school slash college, if they even went to college, uh, grades, no one was a straight A student. None of them. Or very, very small percentage. These guys are all like B, C students. And they're, they're trying to make the articles making the point that if school teaches you to be like this jack of all trades, you know, oh, I can keep A's on everything. But it's like the real world doesn't need, leaders aren't the guys who do everything. They are super good at that one thing they do and they rise to the top through that. So the CEOs all have one skill or two skills that they got the A plus in. Everything else can be F's for all they care. Right. But that's how they excel. And so we're, we're trying to keep, oh, my kidneys get all straight A's or this is like, you know, he could just be average and turn out to be like extremely successful. But our metrics are just really not in sync with that type of thinking. Yeah, And that's also a gendered story, by the way. So what you find what's, is what's the gendered story, this issue of specialization with men, because there's um, been a long history of where like men typically they find something and they like to go deep into it. So you tinker with something, you get obsessed with something. Yeah. Um, also, it's advantageous because when it comes to careers, like a lot of parents, like if your if your kid is showing exceptional skills in computer programming, do you think the parents are like, but I also need you to be like literature? Yeah, literature. It's like <laughs> you're great not man. Alhamdulillah, <laughs> this guy's on his path to success, right? But with women, we often think culturally, like you know, well, women should be more well-rounded, you know, because they're going to be mothers and they're going to kind of there's a different role in life they're going to play. So women also have this sense of this leads to a lot of the anxiety at times of like I have to be a perfectionist, right? And so this is when women say like we have to work extra hard. Sometimes you are working extra hard because they're trying so hard in every single domain of life where the guy is just like, I'm cool. I'm a guy straight as in math. I know what path I'm trying to do. Like, I know what I need. Why am I going to waste my time into all this stuff? But the problem is the school system punishes you for that. So yeah. instead of you being this exceptional mathematician, it's like, well, since you didn't get the A plus in literature and in poetry and in, in all these other subjects, well, you're not going to get into the top school or whatever. You're maybe not even get it out. Of, you might not get out of the school in the first place. Yeah, right? your GPA just sucks. So exactly. you're just like, I'm stuck. Yeah. Like, Which is humble now, at least. Like, for instance, there's boot camps for coding. So like, there's kids who are like, fine, the school wasn't for me. I'll go spend three months co- in computer programming and I'll go and get a good job, right? Yeah. So now there are, and that's kind of more like the vocational side of things where you don't need to have that formal education for what, K through 16 at least, right? In order to be like a competent producing member of society, right? Yeah, it, boot camps are like the new vocational like yep. trade school. It's like you could yep. go be a plumber, you go be a software engineer. Yep. Yeah, it's like literally the same thing yeah. now. <laughs> it really, it's that's shocking. And for those of us who study this stuff, like four years, like oh, I feel jip now. Right? <laughs> like three months, you're gonna get. Dang. It's like, <laughs> You either have the mindset for it or you don't. I think one of our friends was telling us he actually went through the program. He, Someone that went through the camp with him is now making 180000 bucks a year. Mm-hmm. And six months 
before like ago like six months ago he was working at legoland exactly and now he's making 180k alhamdulillah so that's it he probably flunked out of high school worked at legoland and now he's making 180k you could you could do it <laughs> but subhanallah what's crazy is that for most families still especially in the muslim community immigrant families most moms and dads probably would have been like oh my son is not succeeding right he's not doing well and like it's almost embarrassing to be like well this is how he went like sure maybe after the fact that they're happy probably not right? Because they're like, what school did he go to? Oh, he didn't go to yeah, school. Yeah, when he's getting married now. He shows up in his Tesla, miskeen. <laughs> he never went to school. <laughs> yeah. But you know, to bring this conversation back, there's one thing I want to be very careful about, which is like women, and you said this, alluded to this. They need to like see that a society with men who are not doing well is terrible for them. So anecdotally, we see a lot of conversation with, I mean, sisters in the community on the ground, as well as on social media, where they say like, why are there no good men to marry, right? And, why are they, and, and again, that's a narrative. And the men you sit to say the exact same thing. But if that's what they perceive, they have to realize like something is wrong and we need to collectively fix this problem for ourselves and for our children, right? Because they're the ones who are going to suffer at the end of the day. And we suffer and they suffer, right? So and you, you've like mentioned, women need to solve this problem as much as men do, right? Yeah. You mentioned you, you've spoken to women very good, Muslim, mashallah, tabarak a lot. But then you'll tell them, like, you know how there was feminism in the past and trying to fix wrongs because you guys needed some rights and things weren't all all there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, today, you're like, because well, they're asking, like, why are these men flocking to the right side? This, he said, they also feel disenfranchised and are trying to find their way back and they're trying to find these voices. And the woman apparently was like, no, this is yeah. nonsense. I could not imagine. This makes no sense. So even on their side, even if you try and explain like why or all these good men are or whatever else, they don't want to accept. Some people don't want to accept the fact that maybe things aren't so good on the guy side either. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you have to get your inspiration from an Andrew Tate character who's just yelling the most vulgar things, he's actually pimping women out. Uh, all he does is just it's like male ego personified like you said right yeah. if this is your like oh yeah this guy I want to be like him if that's where we're at then there's obviously a huge issue you know because um, well, where where are your where's your role models right like where can you where can you look in society and just see like a trajectory of like okay I'm here at this age and I'm going to be here at this stage in life and this stage in life it doesn't it doesn't exist for for men it's just a constant beat down uh, in, in, in what you learn in school and whatever's portrayed in culture. Yeah, it, it reminds me of the parallel about going back to the young white man who's like voting for Donald Trump, right? And everyone is like, how can you vote for Donald Trump? And you talk to some of these guys and it's not like Donald Trump is not the stand-up guy to them. But like the other projection that I'm seeing of where the society's taken us is terrible. And even though this guy is like horrible in so many ways, at least there's something I can latch on to like, you know, with this guy, right? And what, what they, this, his party stands for. And I think that's the example for our Muslim youth in many ways. It's like, no, I don't love these personalities, but there's nothing on the other side that's bringing me. So even if they give me 5% of something golden, well, that's 5% more than I'm getting on the other side, right? Yeah. Right. And that's where your point came up is that what do the more mainstream personalities have to do with this stuff, right? Like in the absence of speaking about these topics openly, because look, let's be honest, this, this conversation gets people canceled, right? We have to be super careful, right? About not saying anything negative, right? About, you know, about, about our sisters, right? And anything you say, the least bit, boom, people get, you know, they're attacked by everybody. So there's a fear for the mainstream scholarship often and just personalities, right? Not even just scholars, but, you know, community figures to speak openly about this. And this is, again, a U.S. problem all over the world where men are suffering and boys are suffering, Australia, Canada, other places. They actually have programs and initiatives. They said, we have a problem, we need to fix it. The U.S. is just like, let's not talk about us having this problem. And so until our leadership starts to say this is an issue, 
Let's think about designing our programs because look, we can complain about the school system. That's out of our hands. We don't control public education. We have some private ed- education. But what do we do in our community spaces? What does the masjid do? There we go. Right? Okay, go back to this problem. When I have a lecture in the masjid and I'm told to give a lecture, who shows up to my lecture? Probably There's a whole lot more women woman, yeah. from my MSA days, right? From yeah. the MSU at UC, I remember doing thing. these classes, right? And it's like 20 sisters show up, right? And you get like two brothers. And then the brothers feel awkward because there's only like one other brother there. And he's like, okay, I'm not showing up this class either, right? It becomes a women's class, right? Again, that environment is suited for, for women and they gravitate towards more towards it. So our masajid looking around saying, why do we got no young men showing up? Do something about it. This is where you have agency, right? This is where you can have the ability to say, let's change up this programming. But again, our spaces aren't, are not designed that way. We have a giant musalla with a microphone and a projector. It's, it's hard to get creative in that space, right? So what kind of measure you do besides have a basketball hoop? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so we're in California, <laughs> so I can speak about our context, right? Yeah, yeah, our but, context. But, but that's is. not trivial to say. So the basketball hoop is the analogy, I think, for having spaces for people to be active, right? Yeah. right? The Prophet Muhammad did not have a basketball hoop, right? Uh, but if they did, right? They would have been thrown down, right? I'm sure, right? Omar al-Khattab will slam dunk on people, right? I mean, they used to yeah. wrestle in the Musallah. Exactly, right? To, you know, it, yeah. the Musallah was they, a multi-purpose they're, they're space. They're doing that yeah. manly activities in that space, right? They're yeah. wrestling, they're chit-chatting, right? You know, they're doing their things. And now... You can't I do see, that. No, there's no way. You can't even no, chit I was an imam in the masjid. When young kids are doing things in the masjid, you know, I get, you know, sorry to use the, you know, the uncle pejorative here, but, like, you know, I get the, the older uncles who come and start scolding these young men who are just having a good time in the masjid. And I'm like... And I actually had to give a lecture one day because we put a ping pong table in the, in, in the masjid. And all of a sudden, all these young guys who you've never seen started showing up to the masjid. They come to pray maghrib, play ping pong for an hour, they go home. It's like, alhamdulillah. And these uncles started regulating. And these were guys in their 20s, working professionals, right? They would come home, uh, come to the masjid after Just work. Just play ping pong. Just play ping pong. Not doing anything. In between salat times, right? Oh, this is not a place of, pr- of, of playing. This is a place of prayer and all this type of stuff. And now these guys are like, I don't want to come here. And I had to give a whole like one hour lecture on how the masjid was a space that was not just about prayer. But that concept is foreign to many people. Go all over the Middle East, go to Pakistan. You see anybody playing there? No, why? They have clubs, right? Lived in Egypt, right? You have these clubs you go to, right? So the masjid is for a lot. The Nadi, right? We've got a Nadi for the poor and for the middle class and upper class. Right? There we go, baby. Right? Yeah. And so here, it's like, okay, fine. I have a gym I can go to, which most people don't go to anyway, right? We'll talk about that later and it relates to manliness. But if the masjid is looked at as a, as a space, fine, you have some sports you can do, right? You have a cafe, you're meeting the needs of the human being to socialize, to interact, right? To wrestle, right? To play basketball, whatever it is, you know, badminton, I don't care what it is. Now you'll be, look, we work a crazy life in this country. Everyone works crazy. So if you finish work, well, if you're gonna go to the gym, that means you can't go to the masjid. If you go to the masjid, that means you can't go to the gym typically, right? It's mutually exclusive to do too many things at once, right? It's true. So if you have a space where you're like, I get to go there, I'm gonna go and do my salah, Right? I can do my exercising, I can do my socializing, all my psychological and physiological needs are met. Boom, I go home, like I'm in a good space, right? Yeah, and I think that, that's a really good point. Like if we can, this would be a very interesting conversation if you can bring on like an architect and then kind of discuss this with them, right? Because they're really good at designing these kinds of things. Like, you know, the masala doesn't have to be huge because it's not- The masala is the basketball court. This is what you're missing. When the gymnasium floor, like how many people come for salah in most massages? Uh, you probably Five have like maybe two, three yeah. lines max. So in my, in my worldview, right, maybe very Americanized, right? You have this gymnasium that functions as your musalla for five times a day and your jama space. Deck it out with nice carpets on Fridays, you know, come and do what you need to do. 
But what is it being used for 95% of the time? We're in California. We know how much it costs to build a tiny masjid, let alone like, you know, a 20, 30,000 square it's, it's foot empty, facility. It's right? empty usually at the time. Well, first we can't afford it typically. But yes, if we can build it, it's empty except for an hour a week and then Darwih. So that percentage of time. Come use that space. Women can exercise. Men can exercise. Men can play basketball. Men can play volleyball. Men can, sisters can come play. Everyone can have their time and their space. And again, when we say these are like men's needs, they're not only men's needs. Our sisters need this as well. Our sisters are in the same boat, right? I mean, when you talk about this all the time, right? You know, it's like we live in a very individualistic society where people don't have mom, uh, uh, aunts and uncles and grandma and grandpas around in the neighborhood, even neighbors. So I remember in Egypt, right? You just open your door and like the kids run around and play in the street, right? Kick the, you know, the Coke can around as a soccer ball. Like two in the morning, you see like three, four-year-olds playing playing in the street. I do. Right? That's normal. Yeah. Exactly. Here, you get CPS called on you if your kid is out for more than... I, I'm not even joking, right? I live in Irvine, right? My five-year-old will ride his bike and he would be like 100 yards in front of me and he gets stopped multiple times by parents. Where's your father? He'll literally be like pointing back and these Karens and, and, and Johns, whatever else, will come up and be like, you know, that's very unsafe, sir. Your son is, uh, is, is, is all alone by himself. Thank you very much, sir, ma'am. And I just keep walking, right? So there's this, there's this fear that, you know, like, you know. That alone. Yeah. So, I mean, we can go in so many directions with this, but the women, you know, who are at home all day long, alone with their kids, right? That's also taxing on them, right? And so if they have a space, you know what? I'm going to go to the masjid, all right? I can go. My son can have a Quran class for my daughter or their Islamic studies class. While they're there, I can exercise. I can socialize. I can do this type of stuff. We won't be as crazy as we are today, right? And then people are guilted. It's like, you don't come to the masjid enough. It's like, but it's so hard to, because if I have a, an hour or two, I need to exercise or I need to socialize. Can't, what if I could get it all in one space? Right? Yeah, you got to go to work yeah. and then you got to eat healthy. So there's a meal prep involved, right? Yeah. Then you, you, you got you to go to the gym and then you got to spend time with family. And then you got to go to the masjid. There's just not enough time. And there's, there's actually not yeah. enough time. You have to sleep too. And oh, you also have to be a student of knowledge. And you have to be doing something for the community. Uh, so you're, you know, spread thin. It's just like, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, if the masjid, like if, if the masjid had like a squat rack and a bench and a treadmill, yeah, of course, just get your workout in, get your yeah. salah in, go home and it'd be, it'd be great. But that's, that's, I don't think that's the case anywhere. Uh, actually, I don't know of a single masjid that has that. We'll get there, inshallah. Inshallah. We're almost there. Inshallah. I guess thinking about that, I was like, man, I'll go walk in, like pray to hate the masjid, go to my first rack. Come do my sunnah. <laughs> do my second rack. Pray my fart. Yeah, because it's I'm like done, right? it's a five minute rest between <laughs> exactly, sets. Sometimes right? you could, you know. <laughs> you pray. You pray your sunnah. I'll hit the set, and then we'll. <laughs> By the way, I will say this: uh, African American massage is a lot better in this, even though oh, really? we don't often have the resources in Oakland. And used to go with uh, Amir Abdul Malik, right? One a great mentor and friend of mine. Like the brothers after salah, you're doing push-ups, you're doing all the calisthenics. Like that's just a part of what they do. Oh wow! Yeah, and I was like, I remember I went. I was like, whoa, this is eight. This is crazy, right? But, and they'll have some free weights and they'll just be doing stuff after Salah. They'll bond and they'll do this type of stuff. And I'm like, that's revolutionary. Like, we would get like kicked out of the masjid we did this when I was growing up, right? So. You, you do BJJ, right? Alhamdulillah, for one year now. Yeah. For one year? Yeah. yeah see, that, that's something we can incorporate. You, you just need a mat, right? You do. Uh, and this is what they did in the masjid. They grappled in the masjid, right? Exactly. Right. But again, going back to this issue, uh, a lot of moms, a lot of dads now, because we're in a world of overparenting, we're so scared for our kids. Don't do that. You're going to get hurt. Right? Oh, no, mm. no, no, no. Don't do that. And I've seen this literally with my eyes in a lot of Muslim spaces where two boys will be playing and doing. And it's very casual, relaxed. And the moms and dads, stop, stop. You're not allowed to do that. It's like, okay. And the boy just sits there now kind of dejected, right? So, yes, we need to be doing more of this type of stuff. This is part of 
of our tradition, right? Not saying BJJ specifically, right? You know, but rough housing, you know, rough housing, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, wrestling, yeah. right? Martial arts, right? We have a whole history of this in our, in our, like we were, we were soldiers, right? Let's just be blunt, right? So how about we didn't, didn't program, you know, nine to five, right? And then say, my jihad is with my credit card. I'll <laughs> <it."> <laughs> hey, you do that too, right? You know, but. Yeah, I, grew, I mean, I grew up in Egypt. So I remember, I remember growing up, I played in the streets uh, and I, I was a really small kid. I know I'm like big now. So I got, I got dunked on a lot as a kid. So, I mean, I'm fine, you know, I'm good. <laughs> it didn't shatter your self-esteem, right? No, nah. it's right? like, fine. No, I don't want my kid. And again, this goes back to this phenomenon. It's like parents in this culture have this excessive fear of failure for their kids, right? It's a very common phenomenon where it's like, my kid cannot be, like you said, average in anything. that He's hmm. average in any domain of life, right? So if I put him into something and he wouldn't excel, I'd rather just not put him in it altogether. So that's easy for me to be like, okay, he didn't fail, right? No, but that, yeah, that you're setting up your kid for yeah, disaster because course. life is exactly yeah. He'll always be hesitant to yeah. And you, you, it's funny is uh, another factor in schools that they say like kind of taken out slowly is competition. So it used to be the case you'd have. I mean, I don't know how how it was typically, but I do know now it's like you know everyone gets participation trophy. Don't hurt you don't want to hurt anyone's self esteem. There's no winners and losers. Just don't forget points. There's no points. Just you know mm-hmm. we're just doing it for the sake of learning and whatever else. But then if you remember, whenever they would split up, the boys versus girls, all of a sudden, all the boys, the idiots, the guy on the ADHD, everybody in on this right now. And we're going to make sure we destroy the girls and no one's going to let anyone else down because that's how boys operate. I'm going to make sure the boys, I'm going to, I'm in there for the homies. I'm not going to let anybody down. I will make sure I win only for the sake of the boys. I could care less about the teacher. Of course. Women want to, they're empathetic. They want to make sure the teacher's happy. So they'll, they'll do good just to make the teacher happy. But a guy, I could, I could get an A just to spite my teacher and be like, ah, I hate you and I hate everything about you, but I got an A anyway. How's that feel, huh? And that's, but that's like a guy operates like that. I saw him at Baina. Guy, what, who do you think performed better on all the tests typically? Probably Usually it was the, the girls. Yeah. But whenever we did the competition, boy, boy, oh, yeah. boy versus girl, we won 99% of the time. 99. We cook offs at UCI MSU. I don't know if you got, like, we used to do that. And the boys, <laughs> the brothers would say, it's a competition now? The best food comes out. <laughs> you know, it's like, mashallah, right? But no, but this is the point. It's low stakes, healthy competition. Exactly. Right? We're not talking about like, okay, this is so serious that if you don't do well, it's, it's not going to be anxiety inducing. Mm-hmm. Right? It brings out the best in us, right? But that's not how our culture operates. It's going to put the because, girls down. Well, there's been a whole self-esteem movement, by the way, in yeah. the 70s that has been known to fail, right? It was a disaster. But like, so these cultural notions that are out there that this is healthy and this is not. And like, as Muslims, you know, just come back to this. We have to question almost every major decision that the society has made, right? And again, mm. we it takes a while. I think when you're like young, because you look at the masjid that's usually like kind of falling apart. It's not so nice. You look at your school building, you look at the churches, they look all nice and professional. So we kind of have this inferiority complex built in from very, very young age that like somehow the non-Muslims do it better. And then as you get older and you get deeper into things, you're like, no, 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 they don't. But now it's like, okay, since they don't do things better, I got to deprogram myself and I got to start almost from scratch, right? So Yeah. It's interesting. No, I mean, he's making a point in the book. There's no enduring society, enduring society that didn't have split co-ed, you know, split gender education. It's always been split. Boys learned by from men, and that's how they learned to emulate man, masculinity. And they saw, oh, this is what a chivalrous person is. This is what being nice and a gentleman is. And the woman learned it from the woman. But now everyone's thrown together, and we're seeing the the lack of fruits of that labor. Right? Yeah, the richest people in our society, when they take their kids, when always. they when they put their kids somewhere, it's always a segregated, gendered uh, program. That's hundred yeah. oh, percent. You know, it's very interesting. So I was saying like, oh, you know, like if there was something like that here, 
I would put my son in it. She's like, really? She's, like, I'm, 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 <laughs> she's making this comment offhand. Like, I feel like it's just be like a bunch of like, gays these days. And it's interesting. I was like, no, I bet you have like way less, yes. way, 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 way less. Because if you, when you look at like yeah. the psychologists or there's people who, who try and detransition people, they, I mean, voluntarily, not, not the weird stuff. But so if someone's like, oh, I have same sex attraction. I want to get rid of that. I want to be heterosexual again. One of the things that the counselor tells them is get in a male type of environment. Go get it in a sport, males club, gaming, like something that's just masculine energy. You got to be involved with men. And typically what happened, these guys didn't have man, manliness in their young lives. It's, yeah. it's identity reaffirming essentially. Yeah. Right? When you're yeah. in a space with people who <clears throat> are like you in some way, like, you know, you're going to like if you want your kid to be in anything, you want to be a basketball player, go hang out with basketball players. Right. Yeah. You don't say go hang out with the soccer players you're gonna, and you're going to be good at basketball. Right. No. Yeah. Right. And so you're right. It brings out those masculine qualities. And now you're in that space. It's like, well, these guys are talking this way. I'm going to adopt that way of talking. These guys are interacting this way. They're making jokes with one another. They're being competitive. And you adopt, right, those traits. And lo and behold, you're a normal man, right? Yeah, like, you know, the whole thing with, like, being trans youth or whatever, and, and it turns out it's a whole, like, social contagion, actually. You know? Yes. It, the exact opposite is true. When, you have a, when you're around a lot of good energy, yep. that will just manifest in you. Um, just as we see the opposite that's happening, and it's being documented. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it, another thing was, um, which also you get a lot in these male schools is, there's, he's saying there's a lack of a rite of passage to manhood these mm -hmm. days. So in the past, any society, there was something that indicated you are now a man. Whether it was like you go out in the forest and you're going to kill that tiger before you come back home or you're going to go sperm whale fishing or whatever it is, right? There was something that was like, when you do this, until you do this, the, the tribe's not even going to get you married. We're not even going to look at you until you've done this thing. But our society today, it's like, where does that transition happen? I, I don't know, to be quite frank. But if you think of when you were a kid like, uh, especially in sports teams, you get this a lot in sports teams, when you have that really hard workout, there was just this sense of like, we got through it, we did it, right? Like they, you ran the mile, and he's like, if you don't run the mile in just six minutes, you're cut from the team. So everyone's sprinting their heart out. You guys do it, he's like, great. Now the workout starts. And then you do that thing, and the next week, you, all you're doing is talking about like, my God, dude, we went through that, we're sick, you remember you threw up, this, that. But there's just something about that male energy of being there and being through it together that brings you, I mean, makes you more comfortable yeah. in that manliness, right? Yeah. That's what our camping trips are all about, right? Exactly, right? yeah. We get, you know, the first time we do this, we're going to get 40 pounds on your back and go 10 miles into a forest. It's like, oh my God, I'm going to die if I do this, right? <laughs> and then people do it and they're like, dang, I felt good. Like, I feel like I have potential. I, I, I can, it's kind of like what Ramadan does. No one, like, you tell a non-Muslim, like, 30 days from, like, dawn to sunset, we're not going to eat or drink. Like, what? And then you not do it. Not even and, water? Yeah, exactly right. So these, these things really, they bring out the best in you, right? And they bring out that, you know, I can do a whole lot more. So this whole lack of motivation, all these things, those things dissipate when you've proven to yourself, proven to yourself, not to your teacher or to your parents, that you can actually accomplish things that are serious, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you guys do a camping trip? Yeah, 20 years, man, we've been doing these. I'm doing this podcast over here. No one's telling me about this <laughs> camping trip. No, no, we have an annual backpacking trip. It's guys only, right? You know, we, we, we Allah, put on Allah, our packs. Allah, Allah. Talk to me. We, <laughs> we put on our packs. We go out to the national forest. We go somewhere. We go about somewhere between 7 to 13 miles each way. And you're living off the land. There's nothing there, right? You know, we got water filters. You know, we, we, we hike. Got your shovel. You know, we got our bathroom. shovel for the bathroom. It's funny. The, the, the guys at UCI used to call it the boys to men camping trip right I mean, that's exactly yeah because like they literally something go like so they, i mean these were in some ways like a right a right of passage and i'll yeah. say this again if we live in suburbia especially the immigrant muslims in particular like i'll tell you a story that kind of really showed me just how absurd the suburban muslim immigrant life is 
Uh, at MSU, we build this big apartheid wall every, every you know, years ago to display during anti-Zionist week. Are you familiar with this? Uh, am I familiar with the, with the wall? Yeah, we actually, we did one once. Okay, good. It was a disaster, but we did. Okay. So I'm the, so we used to build these, we, we used to build the, 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 these walls. Over the years, you know, we would house them somewhere, rain falls on them, they fall apart, we rebuild them. So one year they said, hey, Othman, can you come and, and, and help kind of manage the brothers and sisters there at the message? They're putting the wall together. So at ICOI in Irvine. So I'm there and I'm helping the brothers put up these big panels and they're like, you know, drilling things and sawing things. And I tell some of these, these brothers, I say, hey, can you guys please go and can you um, drill some screws into this panel? So the brother comes to me, I'm gonna pick up my water bottle as if it's the screwdriver, the power screwdriver. He looks at me like, what do I do with this? Wow. And I was like, you've never used like a drill in your life or like a screwdriver? He's like, no. It's an 18 year old kid, right? Boy. And I said, okay, you just take it, right? And there's a little trigger. You just, you know, you know hold the trigger and it's gonna rotate and you just put the screw in. And he has it and he's doing it and it's not going in because it's in reverse, right? <laughs> so it's like, like, no, 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 you have to flip that. Like, and it just made me realize that like there are kids who've never had their hands involved in anything. So we talked about things like, okay, have you changed openly? Have you guys changed a tire before if it's gone flat? No. Have you ever changed your oil? Like, no. Like, have you done like what? No, all we were told to do was to go to school and to get straight A's. They cut right? woodshop out of high school because it's dangerous. Yeah, I did they two years of woodshop. I loved woodshop, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, I had it. It was fun. My my 12-year-old is taking a machine shop this class. She's homeschooled, right? But she's going four hours, you know, every Thursday to to do shop, right? And again, we designed this outside of a public school program, right? Yeah. So, yeah, these boys, think about your self-efficacy when you're like, wait a minute, I can't do anything. All right, I can't change anything. I can't fix a drawer at home, right? And now you're in a marriage and you're like, your wife doesn't look at like, like you like you're a man either, right? So these things just, they they get worse and worse. They compound over time. I, mean, right? I, know, I know a lot of guys today though, so I didn't know about this app until I moved to Southern California called TaskRabbit. So if you want something done, like they'll get, they'll order, say like a cabinet comes in the mail and like, oh, I don't want to assemble this. So yep. like go on task, grab yeah, yeah. it. And the guy comes in and assembles it for you. Oh, string lights. Can you put string lights in my backyard? And can you the guys put the curtains up? Oh God, I just These are only guys. So I just I only know this from two guys. weeks ago. And I was kind of like, okay, sure. If they're like, you need some specialty tool, but something in me was just like, my, my spidey sense was going off. Right? Something's not right. If you're a CEO and your time is just that bad, like my time is $500 an hour. I cannot put up string lights. Okay. I did that. Yeah, this Great, was like. But you're not. <laughs> No, like I put like a swing set up in my, like I built it like from, these are not like, pull out Google, you get like, you know, you know, schematic, right? You put, you go to Home Depot, you buy the wood, you cut it. And most people are just like, wow, you could put together a swing set. Like this is like an average 16 yeah. year old should be able to do this type of stuff, right? It comes with instructions. <laughs> no, this, yes, that's if, if, that's if you buy that, but even building, it's not that complicated. It's not that hard, build, yeah. Right? We used to, we Which, college we'd build a bench for ourselves, yeah. like for our table, like, oh, we don't have chairs, we'll just build a bench. Yeah. We went to the store and built it, like not. So, yeah, and I just think like, there's, there's a sense of accomplishment and if like when you put it all together, even if it's something simple, like some course. stupid Ikea or whatever, you're like, you know what, but it, you set it up, like I did that. And the wife's like, oh my God, thank you so much. And like there's a sense of respect. Like my, I know I can rely on my husband to put up the shelves yep. and this, what, the curtains or whatever else. There's something about that. I just, I find it hard to believe if I didn't put up anything in my house and like every time my wife asked for something, I was like, yeah, I got it. Like, I'm just so rich. I'll just pay for yeah, it yeah, off. Yeah. I, I don't know how much respect I'm going to have at the end of it. Like, yeah. am I just money to her or there, I don't know. I feel like there's some energy. There's the masculine yeah. side of that that's lacking severely. Yeah. They build things in their universe on their video games now, right? So, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> I always use my dainty software uh, oh, coding no, fingers. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's another. So then the third factor was video games. Yeah. He came to right. He said because men they have the sense of they want to control things. Okay, 
which is that's why we obsess over games like Zoo Tycoon or Sims or whatever it was in the day, right? Grand Theft Auto. Just have this like omnipotent sense of self. I can do anything I want in this world. And if I lose, eh, it's not a big deal. Reset, try again, try again until I get it right. But which creates a disconnect with the real world because the real world, there's no reset. And the real world is a lot much harder. And you have to interact with real people and you can't adjust the settings. If it's, oh, I couldn't do it on super hard. So I went down to the setting, right? So we have a lot of guys today who can't deal with the real world because they're just so virtual all the time that they don't know how to deal with human beings anymore, right? So I thought that was an interesting way of him framing like this issue with video games. Or he said he had a lot of clients that come in like, oh, just play video games all day. He plays Madden. All he does is play Madden. He's like, I just enroll him in actual football. And so they did. And they put him in football. The first day he get, like, he's getting knocked over and whatever else. They didn't say anything. The parents were smiling. They're like, oh, do you like it? He had to put his ego down. They just said, okay. Uh, when's the next practice? What do you want for dinner tonight? Or when's the next practice? He's like, oh, it's tomorrow at this time. And then over time, the kid just you know started playing video games less and realizing the real things a little bit better and a lot better in terms of over and over, right? But take gaming as a multi-bajillion dollar industry and e-sports is, ta- is making more money than even normal sports can in some sense. Irvine built out that, uh, what is it? The gaming... Yeah, the e-sport, they have a e-sports. whole e division yeah. and a research division and everything. Yeah. You can be on an e-sports team at UCI. No way. Yeah. <laughs> what games do they play? I don't know. That's nuts. <laughs> when I turned 30, I uninstalled all the games off my computer and phone. It was difficult. <laughs> <laughs> You, you entered manhood. <laughs> it was a rite of passage. Like, it was kinda, congratulations. Yeah, it was great, actually. Yeah, I, was, I have so much more time. So. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I'm kind of shocked some guys, how they have time for it. I was like, what? I don't even, I barely. Ba- I, the only reason I have a system, my brother got it for me for my birthday. God bless him. So I play Mario Kart every now and then with my little bro- my my son. And I put all the settings for him so it just drives by itself, right? Just like, all right, that was one tour. We're done. Turn it off. Move on with my life, right? But I can't. Yeah, it's obsessing. like watching it. You could, you could use it like a TV show. Like I need to see a yeah. press play for 30 minutes, right? But this whole... It's the game, gaming culture yes. versus... Yeah. yeah, I mean... But, yeah, which is different. I was telling Manir, like when, when, when I was a kid, like there was no like online gaming. So if there's a console. It's like, okay, I got three brothers. Okay, hey, you want to play Mario Kart for 30 minutes? Okay, good. I got to go do homework. I got to do this. But yeah. now it's like I can, there's an infinite amount of gamers worldwide who will just be in this. And it's probably, I mean, yeah. probably like now the globally, like people, like China actually had a law. I don't know if you saw that. China passed a law uh, about a year ago yeah. where they actually limit your gaming. I think it's an hour a week on weekdays, and then I think you get two hours on Saturday or Sunday. So you have to sign up and register, right, your account, and then literally the game locks you out, right? Because they know this is like a serious, serious problem in society, right? Because people would do things like put a bucket underneath them, and then they would go to the bathroom because they don't want to get up and, and you know... Someone died. Yeah, they've died because they're holding it in and all this, you know. And, and they just literally died. Yeah. Gaming. Because yeah. like, they're like, I'm not getting up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's past South Park. But again, but this, again, this is part of go back to yeah. manhood. Like, where is the model that young men are seeing to say, oh, I don't do this anymore because I'm a boy? You know, kind of when you leave, uh, like, you know, if you're in elementary school, you might wear like a, a backpack with like some like action figure or something like that, right? Well, many kids do that. You go yeah. to Target, you see it. You walk into middle school wearing that, what's going to happen to you? You're going to get torn up. Do you right? remember the rolling yeah. backpack? What these <laughs> okay. <call that? laughs> hey, you guys are laughing. Yeah. But I had a rolling backpack. I got bullied for it. Hey, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. That was that's really bad. Elementary school, that's fine. But as soon as you go to middle school, they called it a something else bag. Exactly. Oh, no, man, but the key thing is here is you know that that's okay. That built young boys don't do this. Exactly. This is what if you're going to yeah. be an older guy, you don't do this anymore. I got to get rid of my Spider-Man backpack, right? Yeah. I think that the same thing needs to happen with all these things that young men are doing, whether it's doing from <laughs> adolescence into adulthood, where it's like, no, adults don't game. Like for like, you know, six hours a day, right? You know, yeah. adults don't do this type of like, there's things that you do, like men don't do this, right? 
And I love, you know, one of my, my mentors, uh, uh, Dr. Tahir Wyatt, he was saying this thing on the minbar. He says openly, he's like, if you have a kid in high school, he has to be here for Jummah because you're trying to make him into a man, right? It wasn't about like the, yes, you can go to the obligation side and all that stuff, but it's like, you're trying to raise a man. Men come to Jummah. You want your child to understand that I'm not a boy anymore, right? Right, I'm a man. So we're not sending signals, right, to our to our kids that like there's this transition. No, 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 no. Now you don't do this type of stuff. We do it with other things like, okay, now you have to make your bed, right? Right? But do we say, no, this is what men do, right? Men do A, B, and C, which means, okay, I gotta stop doing, you know, D, E, and F essentially, right? Yeah. Right. But you need to have role model, but now you look around and people who are role models are doing this as well, right? So Yeah, I know some I mean, I know there's celebrity sheikhs and they're gaming. They're having live stream gaming sessions and it's just live like, stream gaming? That's how they oh, That's the next thing, right? Wow. So you, you thought gaming was bad, Sheikh. Now we're in Twitch world. So you watch people yes. play games all day. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it happens. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know if they're doing it like to just connect with the younger audience or they genuinely just want a game. I'm, I'm not. The point is, regardless, there's no need to read in, into intentions. Yeah. The net effect is the same that this normalizes this way of being. So the Sheikh is trying to connect. But now these kids, like these kids don't know that, hey, the sheikh is also like studying books for like five hours a day. You know, and he's doing this, he's doing that. Because he's in the gym. All, he's, yeah, yeah, because they don't, we don't live with our sheikh most of the time, right? There yeah. are like virtual personalities, right? Yeah. So it's like, oh, the sheikh is so cool who plays video games. Well, I play video games too. So I must be like the sheikh, right? <laughs> no, like, you know, I'm on the path, right? Yeah, because then when your mom or your dad are telling you, put the game yes. down, they're like, well, well, I'm playing with the sheikh. <laughs> yes, exactly. You can't be like, all right, put the game down, right? Yeah, but if you live with, you know, in the community and you see it, Fine, the sheikh will do that for 30 minutes once a week with the guys, right? But he's doing all these other things in the other time, right? So, I mean, I remember when I was in the Imam in Corona, we used to just, I'd, Friday nights, once in a blue moon, I'd stream like a, a Laker game after Isha, right? So we would like play, bas- we'd, we'd pray Maghrib, play basketball, pray Isha, short Khatara, right? We'll watch a game. But it's not like every day I spend my day watching three hours of basketball. That was there, it's there, yeah, I gotta connect with these youth. But then there's all these other things that I'm trying to. That's just like a hook, right? Yeah, yeah. You're talking three hours a day. I know people. They're like their whole weekend yeah, yeah, is yeah. football. Yeah, yeah. My Saturday, like Sunday. Yeah. My childhood was college football Saturdays, NFL Sundays, NBA, and everything else like you know weekdays, right? Wow. Yeah. But I was playing sports all the time too. But okay. Yeah, playing all the time. But. Mashallah. Yeah. All right, so I want to go back. You, you were you touched on it, tiptoed around it, but let's go back to the modern day Muslim family life. You get calls every now and then, more frequently, you tell me? Weekly. <laughs> weekly, okay, weekly. weekly. You go ahead. Weekly. Tell, what are these calls? Who are they from? What's going on? Yeah, so I'd say in the last two to three years, this has drastically picked up. I get phone calls from people on average between, I'd say late 20s to late 40s. That's kind of the age range. Okay. People who are typically married, um, have either very young kids or even have you know teenagers. And it's the same script that I'm hearing from these men. Sheikh, I don't know what's going on. My mental health and my physical health have just deteriorated drastically. So, okay, what's going on? It's like, I go to work all day long. And then I, most of them have side hustles. Like everyone has a side hustle in today's world as well. So it's like, I have my full-time job. I walk through the door. My wife is burnt out. She hands me the kids, right? I, I have to take care of the kids. Right, and then when the kids go to bed, I continue my work. I do my second type of thing. I, I go to bed. I do this all over again, and I'm like, okay, so what else is happening in your life? Essentially, like, you know, are you? Is there any spiritual development? I don't have time for it. You know, my it's just too hard to make time for a halakha or to listen to lectures or to to do anything. Go to the masjid, 
Okay, how about your physical health and diet? Well, no, I don't have time to go to the gym. So you assess that, you're like, I could see why you'd be a wreck, right? Now, this is again going back to how the modern society is. Our, our, the women have very little help, right? And so they're swamped with the kids all day long. Uh, also over-parenting. So this is something we have talked a lot about where in the past, like our moms, most of our moms, may Allah bless them, right? You know, did their job of taking care of the household, but they didn't like hover over us, right? Like yeah. in pre, pre-smartphone days, right? I remember all my, my, my days in the summer, even during the school year, there's an expectation of like, the kid is going to figure this out. You got your homework to do, you do your homework, okay, good. You want to go play basketball, go play basketball, right? I don't know who you're playing with. You're going to a local neighborhood, you're going to a park. I'd get on my bike at eight o'clock in the morning some days, I'd ride my bike, I'd come back at Maghrib time. Yeah. My mom has no idea. There's no, hey, where are you, right? Yeah. And it was just, that's how society was. But now it's like the mom is, and the dad, but mom, because she's watching the kids most of the time, it's like, oh, you can't watch, oh, you can't look at the screen. Oh, you can't go, you're gonna get dirty there. Oh, you can't go to the park by yourself. You can't do this, can't do that. And they're hovering over and they're exhausting them. Everything has to be enriching. And it's, again, good intentions. But it burns out the parent, adds anxiety in their life. And the dad comes home, mom is exhausted, gives it to the dad. Now the dad is just also gets burnt out. So it's the, it's the way we think about modern parenting. This is the problem. Like that, again, has become the norm. The norm in America is now helicopter parenting, right? Anyone who is aspiring to move up the ladder say, well, the wealthy people kind of are all doing this with their kids, so we better be doing this as well, right? So this phenomena has made families a wreck. So no one has the bandwidth for their physical well-being, their spiritual well-being, right? Or, or, any, or even their social life. Mm-hmm. So you see people who say, I don't see my friends anymore. I can't grab a cup of coffee with my friends because it's just too taxing on my wife. Right? I can't go and play a sport because I got to put the kids to bed. I can't even go to the masjid because I got to help the kids with their homework all the time. So the, we got to tackle this as a society, right? Yeah. And again, not just a man problem. The women have the same problem. Well, I watch the kids all day long and now I'm tired when I come home and I don't, or when the husband comes home, I give them the kids and now I'm just kind of also, I check out. I go to my phone, I scroll, which gets you more tired, right? Or I watch something or I just go and I decompress in my bedroom, right? So, but they're not getting their needs met, their physical, intellectual or spiritual needs either, right? I mean, yeah, but I mean, to be to be honest with you, I don't really see a solution to that. There, we don't live in 10, 20 years ago where you could just go to the park and your kid just hangs out all day. It just doesn't, there's no other kids to play with. You know what I mean? Honestly, if a bunch of kids are playing at the park by themselves and you see that nowadays, you, I, a parent would just call the cops. Be like, oh, these kids are unsupervised or something. And you know what I mean? Like, what do you do? It's a challenging phenomenon, but we do have agency. And I think it's the first thing. We do have the ability to change our behavior. So the first thing, don't overparent. Anyone who has older kids will realize that like the way I overparented my first kid or two was a little obsessive. And they start to back off and give themselves the kid space, which is good for the kid. And now they have breathing rooms. So they're not burning themselves out. Number two is why is this expectation that both parents have to be hands on deck right, all evening long? Monday, Wednesdays, the dad can say, you know what? I got my time for the gym. I got my time for my friends. I have time for my halaqa. These are times for me to do what I need to do, right? I'll come home. We'll have dinner as a family. I'll leave for a couple hours. You put the kids to bed. The wife says, okay, Tuesday, Thursday, right? I want to go to the gym. I want to hang out with my friends. I have to go to halaqa. Do it Tuesday, Thursday. But this is not what we're seeing with most families. Why? Because, well, I'm just too tired to go do this type of stuff. What we don't realize is doing those things actually will give us more energy. Go to the gym. You'll see yourself more invigorated. You go to the masjid for a salah, you're going to be more invigorated, right? You go see your friends, you're going to get energy, right? We're having coffee together, we're talking about, we're laughing, right? What do we do at home? 
yelling at my kid to finish his homework, yelling at my, you know, other kid to not make a mess in the kitchen, telling my husband to put this kid to bed, telling my wife that, you know, dinner's, you know, we're getting late for dinner. That's just going to bring more and more stress. So get out and do these things, right? And that's a choice we all have. Now, when you talk about going to the park, okay, I don't care what other parents are doing. All you parents want to follow your kid to the park, fine. My six-year-old can get on his bike and go to a park 300 yards from the house. I have no problem with that, right? I don't care if he's the only one in the neighborhood. I have absolutely no problem, right? Someone wants to call CPS, call with it, I'll deal with it, right? But most of the time it's just, no one's gonna take that work, right? But also it's a no local neighborhood park, everyone knows who the kid is, because he's there all the time, right? Yeah. Right. So it's like, you start, and again, maybe you start to see another parent says, hey, this kid is here by himself. Maybe I can leave this kid here by himself, right? <laughs> so don't be bullied into doing the wrong thing. You know, create positive energy to do the opposite, right? So I think there are solutions, right? Okay. And the masjid, again, can fix that. We go back to it. If the masjid had the facility and the space to provide this, you can just drop your kid there and they can also do their own thing, right? So what's, a, what's something a young man, he's post-college right now, MSU days are over, um, MS, maybe MSU burnout, MSA burnout, or, um, you know, he doesn't have the boys around him anymore to motivate him. Yep. So the stem's kind of fallen off yep. right now, which is probably, it's very, very common. Yep. What can they do? And they're, they're recently married, right? And the wife is uh, very demanding on him. Right. <laughs> so what's, what's his recourse to action here? What, what do you mean demanding? You, you tell me you, your stories. Yeah, you were telling me earlier. Yeah, just a standard expectation, right? That like after work, you have to be here and you have to take care of everybody. You, know, you have to help me with everything, right? So again, I'm not trying to, it's not to paint a negative. It's, this has become what everyone else sees. So if I see, well, you know what? All my friends, their husbands are home after work. Well, why should my husband go out and do anything, right? So again, you're pressured into treating your husband the way he shouldn't be or vice versa, right? Well, all my friends there, you know, their wives don't do this. So I don't want my wife to go and do that, right? So, um, so your question is, how do we get out of this? Like what's something like practical? for the man to yeah. do? Okay, so the first, and I say this with people who are going to, probably the people who are in this predicament are struggling to solve it themselves. So I have to put the disclaimer that it might get harder before it gets easier. Because nothing is more difficult than being in a situation that's not working well, but then actually changing the situation. Change is hard for all of us, right? So for someone to get up and tell, first you have to have, and this is again a boy's thing, we're often told not to express our needs, right? It's not like manly to talk about what you need, right? There's no problem with saying to your wife, sweetheart, um, I feel like I can't be the best husband or the best father because of the lifestyle that I'm living. I feel like I need to live a more holistic, balanced life. Um, I want to start exercising, right? I want to start, you know, frequenting, frequenting spaces that will fulfill me intellectually and spiritually. Yeah. Now, what's often going to happen is a knee-jerk reaction of, but I need you to help with this, 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 and this. And so the first thing is say, look, I'm still, I'm, I will help you, and I do help you, but through me being able to fulfill my needs, I will have, inshallah, more energy and a better positive attitude. Because look, let's be blunt, a lot of these dads, they're grumpy, right? Because you're burnt out and you come home and you're like, I don't want to be doing this. So what do you do? You have a foul attitude with your kids and with your spouse. And that only makes the cycle of marriage and, and parenting worse. So it's like you acknowledge that. Say, I am not actually doing very well. You can see that. You can tell your wife. So it's like you're taking the responsibility. I am not doing well. I'm feeling burnt out. If I have space to do this stuff, inshallah, you'll see me in a better state. Now it's on the man to be like, if your wife, you know, gives you that bandwidth and or, or, or if, she, if you just exercise, you know, the agency to say, you know what, I know you may not like this, but I'm going to do it. You better show that your behavior is improving. You better show your attitude is improving. Because if you go do all these things and you're still the same grumpy guy, then I can see why your wife would be like, don't do this, right? <laughs> it's, so It's actually useless. <laughs> yeah, it's useless, right? <laughs> so we go back to practical things. 
you said the, the guys leave MSA and now they're kind of have lost that um, social motivation. This is the problem. You have to maintain it by being plugged in at all, at all times. Every young man and every young woman needs to have a mentor in their life. Somebody who they're connecting with that's keeping that motivation going. And hopefully it's in a group, right? So we have halaqa, right? The idea is like, we're a bunch of men, we're working, we might have kids, we might have whatever we have. We come together and we talk about life. This helps because oftentimes we think we're alone. I'm the only one suffering through this, right? And then you talk and you're like, okay, a lot of us have the same problem. And then you find, oh, well, you've solved this in some ways. Well, what is your suggestion? Well, I tried this. Okay, let me try that out. You say, oh, I tried this. Okay, let me try that. So now there's actually an arena to discuss these options. <coughs> and again, like it's... Community-based uh, solutions. Community-based can... solutions. And yeah. it's all like we start to gravitate toward, okay, you know what? He's doing it. I'm going to do it, right? You know, it's like, oh, he's doing it too. Three of you are going to the gym. Okay, I'm going to join you. Oh, you guys are going to the halaqa or the masjid. Okay, I'm going to the halaqa or the masjid. So this creates an environment of where the good habits naturally, they emerge, right? So that's actually, is, can, yeah. I, can I ask yeah, something? Yeah. That's a very good point because, you know, if you're hanging out with like, um, like situated people, then they may be married and they may have children. So maybe it's not just, oh, well, what was your solution? Maybe it's like, well, as men in this group, what kind of solution can we have together? And then our wives who are likely friends, yeah. then, you know, they have Tuesday, Thursdays and we have, as the men have money and maybe we take yep. the boys and they take the girls or something like it would be just a community thing. Like maybe the, all the guys go work out one day and the women get together and, you know, they know that this week they're going to have their sister's halakha yeah. or something and well, whatever it is. Right. But that's what so, we have. It's exactly what we have. Like, you know, in our halakha, like, you know, half of the wives have their own halakha on another day of the week. Right. Perfect. So it facilitates this. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. you said also in the past that having a consistent time was very yeah. beneficial to for the guy, especially to communicate that to his wife. Yeah. So like his life moves on and things are happening. At least she know in her image, she's like, all right, every Tuesday night, this guy's going out. Yeah. Like, well, doesn't the kids are crying, not crying? Like, well, that's just the kids are gonna cry. Like, doesn't matter. You can't be like, oh, they're they're, they're giving me problems today. It's like yep. every day they're gonna give you problems. You you can't. And this is from the son of the Prophet Muhammad Of course, with son. his busy life, of course, if there's like a battle, it's like I'm out of here, right? <laughs> but like we know, right? The narrations is that he would spend you know, between like Asr and Maghrib with his family, right? That was his dedicated family time, right? And as the hadith mentions that people don't often talk about, they quote part of the hadith. The Prophet was always in the service of his family, right? He would mend his shoes and he would milk his, his goat and, you know, stitch his clothes if he needed to. But the end of the hadith is that what? When the time for prayer came, it's like he didn't know us, right? He would just, he, was just, he just goes and does his business. So they, they had this expectation. When the adhan goes off, he's off to the masjid, right? But the point, I think the bigger principle is that his wives had an idea of what his day would look like. Right. It wasn't like last minute, hey, I got a phone call, we're gonna go grab coffee. It's like, well, the wife's like, I wasn't anticipating that, like and women typically like more like control and like more uh, of a organized environment, right? So you have to create that for them. Say fine, it's completely organized. This night and this night, this time. Doesn't mean spontaneity doesn't exist, but it's not the norm. You're not just kind of like, all right, I'm at home helping you out look at your watch or look at your, you know, whatever. Okay, friends are hanging out. We're out of here, right? That's just going to uproot, you know, all the norms that you're trying to develop, so. Yeah, with, with your wife, you got you to gotta have that. Like the, the order, the yeah. calendar. Have a shared calendar. Yeah. It's not that difficult. Everyone has an iPhone, whatever Google Calendar, share it, and it gets stuff done. Um, yeah. Did you get through all your... Oh, yeah, we go back to, we got to continue this, right? So that what can young men do, right? Yeah. Holistic, balanced lives, right? This is so key. So you work, but you have your spiritual needs. So you have to find some spiritual outlet, right? We said joining a halaqa, a masjid class, like finding a relationship with people. But then you have your social needs. So again, if you have the halaqa, it might fulfill that. Or if you have like a weekly, like just hang out, 
fulfills that. But physical fitness is huge, right? Because what happens is that in your 20s and your 30s especially, right? You guys are now into your 30s, right? Some of you, you're still young, mashallah, right? You know, right? I'm in the 20s. Like, you know? Are you though? This is, this is yeah. the phase. <laughs> For how many right? months? Shh. <laughs> By the time this episode comes, I'll be 30. <laughs> you know, your, as you, you know, when you have kids who are young, that's typically when people just like, everything just stops, right? It just the breaks on life, right? And the first thing that happens is that you put on weight, right? You just start getting unhealthy. Oh, tell me about right? it. Shall I, you're, you're solid though, man. You got, you got some muscles at least to work with, right? Uh, a little bit. <laughs> right? But like, this is part of being a man is being, you know, strong. Right, but it's also part about having the energy, and also bluntly, your wife will find you more attractive. They'll, they won't say that, by the way, often because women don't want to appear like we're vain in some way. We'll be like, of course, like men like attractive women. That's just a nature of life, right? And we say it openly. Well, women will always say, no, I just want you to be like, I want to sweet and kind. Yes, they want that. I like your dad bod. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. No, like you know. So women appreciate like you know a chiseled man, right? So this is part of also improving your marriage. So having a fitness routine is essential. Now, some guys can go put their AirPods in and go work out, it's fine. But a lot of people need that social motivation. So again, picking up a sport. This is why I like doing BJJ. It's like, it's fixed, there's a time every week, it's three, four times a week that I go, I know that there's gonna be a coach there, there's gonna be 10 other guys that I'm gonna roll with there, right? And it's <coughs> on my calendar. It's not like, ah, oh, I'm in the mood to go do it now. It's like, well, there's no class right now, right? So you're locked into these things. So putting yourself in you know, a pre-commitment devices, right, to use economic terms, right? You've committed already, money is up front, the time is locked in, right? You're doing these things. This way you can't, and this is central, like this is not like extracurricular that if I have free time, no one says if I have free time, I'm gonna take a shower today. Hopefully you don't, right? right? Or if I have free time, I'm gonna eat a meal today, yeah. right? No, this is what I do as a human being. No, I don't care what is happening in my life. I don't care how busy my work is, right? If Yaqeen is listening, right? I do, I do my work as best as I can, right? But no, it's like, it's time for me to go to the gym, right? I actually don't, th I think I'm a better employee. I think my work is higher quality when I've gone and done my training, right? And lifting my weights or anything else. And for me to give that up means I'm going to have brain fog or it means I'm going to be sitting there. My back is going to start hurting. And you know, when you start having these pains, who's working, right? Sitting there like, you know, all day long, like, you know, holding your sore muscles, right? So fitness Right, spiritual development, right, social stuff is huge, right? And it goes for saying, hopefully you're giving time to your wife and doing these things. So we're not gonna, we won't go into that now, right? But yeah, yeah. Um, probably psychologically as well, especially if you're doing like a, like a martial arts, probably psychologically on the wife end, she probably values that more, I would say. She just knows subconsciously that like, if anything was to happen, like oh, yeah. my husband, he can throw down. Absolutely. Even though no girl will say it. Of course. Like, no, 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 we're not, you don't have to fight, just talk to him. Like some guy, like you know as a man that sometimes it's gonna come to blows. Yeah. Um, that's what like every aggressive interaction, like it could calm down, but there's a point where it could get physical and it's like, well, can you fight or can you not? And if your wife knows that you could throw down, then yep. it's, she'll probably respect you more, even though she'll never admit it. Yeah, and if you know you can throw down, you walk the world differently, right? Yeah. You know, you know those people who are like fake, who like, you know, if you're playing a sport, like, Oh, you want to, you know, you yeah. want to get, like, no. and you're like, everything's a foul. Uh, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, when you know how to fight and you're strong, you actually are not in the mood to, to engage. Cause you know that you can inflict damage and it's only going to, it's only going to cause you more problems in many ways. Right. You get sued. So, yeah, exactly, <laughs> you can get yeah, sued, you, know? you get arrested. But yeah. you just, you walk, you know, with this, this silent confidence essentially. Right. And so your, your wife sees it, but also anyone else sees it. I mean, I was, you know, I was talking to you know, a good, good friend of mine, you know, who has been very central and motivating me to do these things as well. 
And it's like, look, we deal with, you talk about shootings, right? Massages that are in, have been involved in this stuff as well. Like what if someone, right, entered into a masjid to cause trouble, which we just heard about in Canada, we've had it in New Zealand, it's all over the place it happens, right? Is there a man in that masjid who if someone gets up to do something, could take somebody down, right? I think every Muslim man should be strapped. I don't know, that's just my opinion. Is that controversial? Maybe it is, I don't know, we're in Southern California. Yeah, yeah. our Texas listeners will appreciate that, <laughs> right? you know? Honestly, like if, yeah. if, if you walk into a masala at like you know, Friday prayer and you know that like, I don't know, maybe 30% of the guys there are just concealed carry. Yeah. You think anyone would mess with us? No. You think the New not. Zealand shooter would be like, okay, I'm gonna, like, no, no. he knows he's gonna, he's getting, he's getting smacked, right? So, but I don't, you, you say this now, what is it? Brother, no, guns, guns are bad. Guns kill people. I've said this on member before. I've said open on the member. The masjid should have active shooter training. There needs to be somebody armed in the masjid. I'm, I'm not going to state numbers and percentages, but someone but needs just, to be 30% caring. is what I, my That's comfortable, good. maybe, maybe it is, maybe it is. I don't have studies. This is just. Look, let's start with one. Let's, <laughs> let's start, start with, with one, right? one. Right? Let's start with one. And then let's. The imam himself. <laughs> from you, the member. If you have one. <laughs> I see him. <laughs> By the way, this, this goes by if the imams actually, so imams talk a lot, right? Just act a little bit. So if the imam goes and does this, right? I know some of the imams, they'll post themselves, you know, training with their guns, this and that. Yeah. You don't think that motivates other young men to be like, let me learn kind of this type of stuff. <clears throat> See imams who are lifting weights, right? You know. Chicago right? Bro, you see his, you think he's just like a fitness Instagram person. Is that it? That's it, No, it's exactly. But how motivating is that? Yeah. Right. To see, okay, you know what? You can be a person of religious, you know, integrity. And again, it takes away the image that was shaped, at least in my mind as a kid, when you think of the Mulana, right? You think of the Imam, think about somebody who's overweight. Oh, yeah. Right. You think about someone who just doesn't have themselves together, right? They're very miskeen, like, you know, like, no, the Imam should have Izzah. He's physically strong. I, I, and I go back to like the companion. Like when I envision the Sahaba, I cannot imagine some like meek, overweight dude, right? It's like a guy who literally will just like, I mean, like, I mean you've seen like their swords or like, like they'll just- like, Those swords are swords. huge, <laughs> by the way. They're so long yeah. and heavy. If you see the replica, that's like, what? Yeah. I'm like, like, I don't think with two hands I could grasp this thing and hold it up. Like, you know, Ali's sword, you know, the Lahan. So it's like, these are the things we have to, yeah. these symbols need to be in front of our youth. Like we tell them these stories about scholarship, and there's, it's wonderful, right? You know, somebody who loves this and would happily live in books, but that skews a perspective in the minds of our youth, that this is what it means to be religious. Imam Shafi would talk about, uh, Rahimullah, that he could shoot uh, like 10 out of 10 and get like a bullseye, right? So it's like, Imam Shafi, it's like that he just sits and reads books and writes fiqh stuff all day long. No, like these guys could do this stuff, right? They engaged in jihad, right? They could wrestle, like they could fight, they could be, you know, they could know how to wield a sword. like. That is part of being the Muslim scholar, the Muslim male, right? Whatever it might be. I remember reading the story and Sheikh, I, I, I just remember what it was. You're going to have to contextualize it for me because I forgot. But uh, it was like there was like a battle that was fought or something. And then and then the, the, the outcome was that the Muslims lost. Mm -hmm. And the reason that we lost was because like I think like a lot of scholars died in the battle. Mm -hmm. Like they were fighting. <laughs> they weren't just teaching, reading books. They were actually, you know, they were thrown down yeah, protecting that's, that's the community. That's awesome. Right? Yeah. 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 And it's like, oh, the Muslims lost a lot of scholars that day in the yeah. battle. And that's why we lost. I was like, what? That didn't, that didn't make sense to no, me. I was yeah, like, yeah. where were the soldiers? Like, they were, they were the soldiers, <laughs> actually. They were the soldiers. One of the same. He's One a lieutenant. <laughs> Subhanallah. So, Jay, I'll, I'll give you the, I'll, you want to talk about God image? Because I can, I have a question. I can go into that. I know you're very into it. It's up to Whatever you. Whatever you want to talk about, man. We're, right, so we're, we're up in here, man. It's very relevant because you keep mentioning how important it is to have a, especially a religious man to emulate. So young youth, young people need to see someone to understand what it means to enact religion 
as a man. And you have research that you're developing and working on that has to do with something called God image and how people perceive God, the image mm-hmm. of God. God so can you, can you help us understand that a bit? I know you, you love yeah. talking about this. Don't worry. That's fine. So we'll, we'll, we'll connect these together, right? So yeah. we go back talking about how we see ourselves. This is what this conversation is all about. How yeah. does a man see himself? If you want to see, if you want a man or a woman to see themselves as confident, capable, um, worthy people, right? This is going to fundamentally, for a Muslim, reflect how do you see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? So the research that we've been doing with Dr. Hassan, right, great friend of mine, uh, Dr. Hassan Anwan, has been to investigate how oh, do he's, Muslims... Oh, he's an amazing... Yeah, he's an OG, right, mashallah. Yeah. Right, so it's, we're trying to understand when you, what is the default perception of God that most people have, right? So if you ask most Muslims, they'll say things like, God is powerful, God is one, hmm. he's the creator. So we'll use these attributes to talk about kind of his, uh, his majesty and his strength, but rarely do you see people talk about, oh, God is intimate. Right, God is near, right? God is loving. Those terms are not really like in it's our Christian. discourse. Right? Christian yeah, God is love is a very Christian type of idea. Yeah. Right? And so the way we've been socialized for one parents and our culture, right? especially from Eastern culture, is God is very strict, right? God is watching very, very closely. And so we kind of internalize an image of God uh, as like, okay, you know what? Like someone who's strict, you don't want to get intimate with, right? We you know, think about like a cop, right? Like he's strict, he's following rules, right? So uh, what we're finding is that people who don't view God with, with a benevolent perspective, that he's this loving, caring, kind, compassionate God, they're the ones who often have this more anxiety in their relationship with him and often have more personal problems, more religious doubts. So we talk about the issue of young men and women in, in, in America who are having doubts about faith. A lot of this goes back to how do you even think about who Allah is? There was a tweet uh, a couple months ago, right? The Saudi guy said a tweet to Elon Musk. Did you see it, Ahmed? Uh, You're so smart. How can you yeah. believe in a creator? Really? I think I yeah, saw something that. Like that, right? And so, so Elon had an interesting response, right? He said, he said, thank you so much, like you know, for your you know kind words. You know, he says that uh, I'm okay going to hell if that's where I'm destined to be, because that's where God will throw most people, right? And it really got. Even though he's a troll, like it gets at this like pop culture notion of like, who in the world wants to worship someone that's going to punish you anyway, right? And I give that analogy. I'm like, if I'm teaching a class, right? And I said. 99% of you are going to fail this class. So everyone's just going to, I'm going to unenroll from this class, right? Why am I going to take a course that I'm guaranteed to fail? Even if you're going to learn this amazing stuff. And so it's like, I think this image has been placed into the minds of, of our youth through parenting practices. Where like, if the kid screws up, it's like, God's going to punish you, right? Through pop culture, right? Grew up watching The Simpsons. A lot of it was kind of making fun of kind of God's strictness. Uh, and, and so this has done a number, I think, on how people think about themselves because well, God is great. He made this universe, but I must be this horrible person if he's going to come and, and, and I'm not worthy of his love essentially, right? So he's going to punish me. I have anxiety because of that. I have low self-esteem because of that. Right? I have religious doubts because of it because if I really want to believe, it's better sometimes for someone to say, I just don't believe in that type of a God, right? At least I can feel good about myself, right? So this is why you know, one of the researchers, he says really nicely, because every person has an image of God, even atheist, because the atheist has an image that he doesn't like, so he chooses not to believe in it, right? So that's kind of where this research kind of has come from, right? I, okay. I'm going to say something. Because yeah. to, to me, I'm, I, I'm hearing a little bit of a contradiction. And maybe it's just I'm not understanding everything correctly. So I, I think that the the whole softness we've been mm-hmm. seeing with men in the community and with everything that's kind of being funneled into our practice and our, our celebrity, our cultural figures, those kinds of things. I think that has happened because of the overemphasis of the the benevolence of God, mm. right? You know, God is all forgiving. 
right? So it's like, well, yeah, all this kufr is okay. You know, God forgives everybody, right? So yeah, it's, yeah, I, yeah. I think there's actually, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't, to me, I, I don't really see the the image of this of, of the strict sure, God. Yeah. I, I, it's complete opposite for me, actually. Or am, am I am I just? No, no. I think I get where you're coming from. Am I so, tunnel visioned? Yes, that's what I was gonna get to, and I'll explain why. So okay. the norm again in the past was you didn't have exposure to any of this content outside of your local masjid and your parents. <clears throat> so you grew up hearing a certain story and a perception of who God was, right? Yes. And that was typically when our parents came from overseas. It was a much more of a generally like a stricter image of God, right? Yes. Not like a negative image, but just kind of a lot of like, don't do that, God is gonna punish you, right? Now, as technology has proliferated and scholars have seen that imbalance, they have, what did I say earlier? One extreme breeds another. Mm. So now they preach a whole lot of this God's mercy and his God's love. And uh, if you're plugged into that space, you're like, this is all I seem to be hearing, right? But let's be blunt, how many Muslims in the West are plugged into those spaces? Does the average Muslim Listen to the celebrity scholar. Does he follow anything Islamic on social media? No, likely not, right? So they're still probably getting this average 15-year-old Muslim boy or girl. It's like, what did my local khatib say? What do my mom and dad say? And by the way, it's not just what they say. This is a part of our research. It's what you experience from, from, from life. So if you experience harshness in your life, your mom or dad are strict and harsh on you, your religious teachers were strict and harsh on you, you project that onto God because your parents and the close people in your space who talk about religion are kind of an extension. Well, if you're like this, God is probably like this. And it's a very subconscious process that happens. And you see that there's research that says that when you ask young children that what are your mom, what, describe your mom and dad, and then describe God, you find a lot of parallels between their definitions, right? And the way that the mom and dad see God as well changes how they parent. If, if God is very strict and demanding, then I, I need to be strict and demanding on my kid well because he needs to get to paradise. He can't go to hellfire, right? If God is super lax and chill, right, I can also maybe be a little bit more lax and chill, right? So we're going to see that mm. our God image influences us, our parenting, and then, of course, shapes how our kids are going to interpret these things. So, no, I, th I think you're right. If you follow certain people, you're going to get a certain image. But if you follow other people, right, you know, our hardcore right-wing, you know, kind of, you know, Muslim influencers now, they're not on that manhaj, right? They're on the, like... This guy's going to hell, this guy's going to hell, this guy's going to hell. You're all, you know, uh, either, you know, fasak or kufar, right? So we've got one extreme, <laughs> we have the other, right? You don't have that balance message. God is, put these laws out there. But he did it with his wisdom. He did it out of his love, right? As, as, as the prophet says in the hadith, that, that my servant doesn't get closer to me than more than what I have commanded him to do. So the point is that Allah wants to bring you near. To, when Allah says do something, those are the deeds that bring you nearest to him. So when Allah says, do this, like that thing you have to do, it's out of love to bring you near to him. But it's a very different perspective than saying, do this, because if you don't do it, I'm throwing you in hell. It's, it's not that, it's not true. If, if someone does nothing, like, you know, it's, yes, there's accountability. But it's how do you frame it in the minds of a person? Do you worship God out of fear? Or do you worship him out of, Allah loves me, cares for me, knows what's best for me, so I'm going to succeed in this life and the next by following his guidance. Very different ways of obedience. Right? You could do the same to your parents. Do you obey your parents because my parents are wise, smart, and they know what's in my best interest? Or do I obey my parents because they're gonna beat the crap out of me if I don't? And that's, they're, two, they're both obedience, but they're very different forms of obedience. And guess what will happen? It'll lead to burnout if it's constantly over the threat of punishment. How long can you obey and submit in that attitude, right? It's like, you know what, man, I'm tired of this stuff. Everyone's living a good life, having a good time. You know, I'm trying to appease this super strict demanding God. I can't last in this any longer, right?
sad if you burn out. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So how does this tie into our? Because you said you're going to tie it into the original discussion of the of, you know, masculinity. No. Right? So I think the way it ties in is, is how you see yourself as a okay. person of worth and value. And I don't think this is a male topic specifically, right? Yeah, that right? seems like it's yeah, just yeah. the overall. No, it's a general thing. We're not yeah. seeing gender differences, at least so far in our work, right? Yeah. But, um, but nonetheless, it's important because you have to have a healthy image of God to see yourself in a positive light as well, right? I think, and then that also if you want to tie it in more, you were making the point that you can't lecture someone to a different image of God. Yeah. Like I can't just tell you facts like God's mercy. I know you think he's strict, but he's yeah. merciful and this, that. That will not move the needle. Specifically, if you want to move that needle, you have to see it being emulated yeah. in a person of God in a correct way. Yep. So having those male role models. So if you don't have yeah. a male role model yeah, yeah, who's yeah. going to guide you in these ways, you will. Not, if you don't see a guy going through hardship, like he comes, you go to the youth, let's say this kid, teenager goes to youth group and your youth leader, is, he's a married guy with a couple of kids. Um, he, he come, the youth leader comes in, he's just like a little stressed. I was like, yeah, my kids were keeping me up last night, whatever. He's like, Alhamdulillah, like, I have, my kids are healthy and whatever. So we just yeah. accept that and they'll grow up. They see that like, oh, that's how you calmly accept the qadr of Allah and move on with your life and you don't let it get to you. As opposed to like, my wife's just, I cannot stand her. I don't want to deal with this person anymore. So yep. I'm like, yeah, I'm so glad I'm here right now, guys. Let's yeah. just talk and be happy right now. You, get, you create scripts for people, how to, you know, how to interpret the events that happen in their life, which again, you can't get with the online social media culture. I could love what Sheikh X or Y says on social media, but I have no idea how they operate in the world when things happen to them. Why? Because I only see them boxed in this video with like a nice backdrop behind me speaking beautiful words in an optimal setting. But what happens when life goes wrong? I, I really like what you just said there where, you know, a script on how to operate when you have certain events in your life. Because men, we are very like that. We, yeah. we can be, we, we, we tend to, you know, we analyze, we emulate, we execute. We're very like input, output, right? And if we, if we observe someone doing something, we'll automatically internalize it. And if you, if you have an input that you don't have an, uh, an observed output for, you know, you may you may end up resorting to your like worst inner self. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. Absolutely. If you if you've never had if you have, if you if if you've never had a a proper way, uh, uh, if you've never observed a proper way of like uh, dealing with anger. Yeah. Right. Then who knows what'll happen if you get really really angry or you ex, ex, you know are put in that situation. You'll you default to how you were raised, essentially, right? Yeah. So you'll default to that in the absence of something else, right? So, um, or if you've never had, had that positive male role model, yeah. you will just maybe you'll become very, very violent, right? Yeah. We're seeing with a lot of these yeah. yep. um, young shooters, they end up having like n little to no positive male yeah. influence in their Absolutely. life. Dad's gone, or dad was a deadbeat, or mom had boyfriends coming in and out of the house, just nothing. So, uh, it's really important for you to get when we're saying role models, we're not saying, oh, like you got to go follow this person on social media because Sheikh just said it's not. No social, if social media is a part advice, of the problem. Get out of social media for, if you're a young man. This is going to be, I know, young woman. It's a toxic place for everybody, right? <laughs> like find real human beings. Yes. Your local mentor who's not as eloquent, handsome, fill in those superlatives will be far more valuable in your life than these influencers who are, might be incredible people, but you don't have the direct access to them, right? Like I can't stress this enough. Like if one action item, like, Unfollow every single person that like is not like just bringing like direct khair into your life. Anyone brings drama into this place, get off of it. Ideally, just delete these things. Just delete them. You're going to find yourself with more time to go and do BJJ, to go and hit the gym, right? To go and socialize. Because look, we, let's, we're often our, our we, we self-inflict our wounds. 
So when we say we don't have time, oftentimes we do have time, but it's because I'm sitting at home scrolling for an hour or two. I'm saying, well, I didn't have time to go to the gym today. Or, I didn't have time to go and see the brothers today. I didn't have time for the masjid today, right? So free up your life, right? You're a zombie when you're on these things, right? Yeah, Apple, I don't know, in the latest iOS update started yeah. giving out uh, these screen reports oh, yeah. every week. I heard about I that. Never asked them, I never asked for <laughs> Apple to do this, but all of a sudden I'm getting these weekly reports. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like I had no idea. Like my average dailies, I'm not going to. Embarrass myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with all the different apps, I'm like, oh, this is not good. Yeah, so I have app timers on everything. It's five minutes. So I've been, if I hit yeah. five, it turns it doesn't even let me back on the app. Like, nice. Perfect. Oh, really? Yeah. Ooh, I just don't install apps generally, so I just don't have that. That's, like, I, I am I for very specific for purposes. That's yeah. why they're five minutes. Yeah. So I can do what I need to do, and then after that, it's like, I don't need to go back on there scrolling endlessly, right? That, that's really good. Uh, so, I, I, so I have a question. We kind of mentioned at the beginning, but uh, why... This, this whole podcast, this messaging, why aren't we getting this messaging from the shuh? Why am I, why am I getting it from not shuh, essentially? Well, yeah, yeah, he's one. Yeah. Listen, mashallah. <laughs> yeah, that's, I can't speak for anybody, yeah. but what we're seeing the trends uh, on social media is if anyone has the audacity to speak about masculinity, uh, they get attacked by the mobs online, right? The social justice warriors, the woke mob, the feminist, White knights, uh, you know, I, I don't know, whatever term it is, right? These <laughs> folks will come for you and your job and everything to do with your existence, right? You, you will get canceled, essentially. So you've put people who are trying to do khair in this predicament, where like, if I speak, you know, the haq, right? You know, with the capital ha, ha right? You know, like, you know, like, it just is too much on the line for me here, right? And this is an issue that everyone has to deal with, right? So it's easier to say, you know what? <clears throat> I'm gonna speak the haq but in a way that doesn't get me into hot water and doesn't alienate my base at all, right? And keeps me out of controversy. Let's be, no one needs more drama in their life, right? So it's, again, if you have like the minbar and it's just your minbar in your community, you say what you want, right? It doesn't matter. But as soon as you say it into a space yeah. where anyone has access to it, a bunch of fools are going to start responding and now you're going to get dragged into this stuff. And whether you respond or not, it doesn't matter. It's taking a toll on your nafs, right? Do you know Sheikh Salman Yunus? I, I didn't want to, I, we could bring that up. Yes, this just should. this just happened. This like this just, here, this yes. just happened like five hours ago. <laughs> yeah, so, so let's let's talk about that, right? So you had a wonderful scholar, right, who had the audacity, right, to speak on a very normative fiqhi issue, right, and simply give an opinion, right, and he gets dragged through the mud, right, by Dr. Ingrid Matson, who goes out and says, you know, tags his employer, right, and you know the mob comes after him as if he's justifying you know horrific actions. And he has to delete his Twitter account, right? All, you know, to avoid the drama that might come with this stuff, right? So what is it? People have been sent a signal. You male religious scholars, you better not say anything that goes against, like, you know, our, our standard narrative now. Yeah, you're talking right? about the guy's livelihood. Of that. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Which is, he didn't say anything. Crazy. No, he, he literally said nothing, which is, again, so now, obviously, like, anyone else who's watching, it's like, this scholar, Sheikh Salman, is incredibly kind like easy to engage with, yeah. he's never like, you know, like attacking. If this guy is gonna get canceled and attacked for saying the most benign thing, I better not say anything, right? So you've essentially muzzled, right? An entire population of people, which is why again at the shuch, get off social media too, right? Talk to your communities, right? Do this stuff. At least you don't compromise, you know, your message, right? And you can keep your sanity at home at the end of the day, right? Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna say something, you gotta have the, the, the bills to back it up. Like, you know, you, you, you have to anticipate that whatever you say might cost you your job. Like if you're gonna come out on Twitter and, and make a statement. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Just say it. 
<laughs> that is very, very clever. <laughs> very clever. I got you. <laughs> so, Sheikh, once upon a time, there was a study put out yes. by some Muslim, prominent Muslims, inshallah, may Allah preserve them and help them, help us all. They put out a study that said Muslims are twice as likely to commit suicide as any other religious demographic. Uh, and that got circulated, got picked up by big news outlets. NPR even picked it up. I mean, this made the rounds. Yeah, it's launched some organizations that yep. are now like yep. funded grants, yeah, all so the good stuff. Mental health organizations, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then, so some guy went and decided to look at the stats behind things. This guy standing in front of us here, man. <laughs> you went and looked at the stats behind it, and you you disagreed with the findings. You thought there's something going on with the stats. And you said, hey, guys, here are my findings that were counter to it. And I'll let you kind of speak from there. What, what happened? What happened so when you put that, out this stuff? Is that what happened? Because we don't know. We just saw the tweet. So yeah. you just kind of decided to look into it yourself? Uh, so I read the study, right? And other folks had read the study. And, you know, by training, right, I have my background in, in statistics. I teach statistics at the university as well. So I'm very well versed. I can look at numbers and kind of see how things match up or they don't. MashaAllah. So I looked at these tables and I said, something seems a little bit um, off in terms of, uh, they had found, they had reported initially like no correlation. And then they did a whole bunch of fancy stats and it looked like there was a correlation between Muslims and attempting suicide. So as I read the report, I said something just looked a little bit interesting to me. And I heard other people also ask these same questions on different WhatsApp groups and in different channels where they're like, something just doesn't seem to add up very cleanly. And so I this had is asked, a big finding if it's true though. If twice as likely yes, for Muslims to commit suicide, that's a big, big, big deal. Attempt, 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 yeah. attempt. So alhamdulillah, I had access to the data and I ran the correlations myself, and I didn't find you know their finding. And then I said, well, they must have gotten to their number somehow. So I reverse engineered everything, and I was able to arrive at what they arrived at, and I was able to pinpoint where the error went essentially. So um, can you explain it? Explain it to laymen. I know. I know it's a it's a it's, difficult yeah. statistical concept. Yes. But just, you know, give us the apples and oranges. like the Yeah, the, the way, so typically you take two things, like, you know, two concepts. Right? Okay. Let's just say I took, um, I'll make it easy. Let's say I took income and uh, education. Education, right? okay, great. Right? So I said, okay, is there a correlation between income and education? Okay. Right, and let's say I run an analysis, right, and there is no interaction, no, no relationship between income and education, right? Okay. So that's what, that's saying there's no correlation. But then I start adding in a whole bunch of other variables, like, um, for instance, your parents' income, their socioeconomic status. So it's not your current income, right? But your parents' <coughs> socioeconomic status, um, your race, right? Your gender, like, you know, all these other demographic factors. And then that algorithm tells you, oh, wait, there actually is a correlation with education and income. This is in stats, what we typically say, there's, uh, uh, it's, it's a statistical artifact, which means it's not, if there's no correlation between two variables, you almost never will say there's a correlation after you have 10 variables involved. There's some mathematical uh, adjustments that are happening where the algorithm says, well, I can't, I'm gonna make, so let's make it even more clear. So I said education had no association, right? Mm -hmm. And let's just say that since uh, your parents' education, for instance, had a, uh, or let's say your immigration status, let's say had like a negative uh, correlation with it, right? So once I put them both together, it says, well, this has got no correlation, right? This actually has a negative correlation, but they're both correlated, right? So now the algorithm says, well, let me make this one positive and this one negative, so it cancels out to zero, essentially. So the net is still zero, but the math had to work by making one positive and one negative. So in their study, what ended up happening was they put in Muslim, and it was not, it was not correlated. And even if you look at race, you see that race is not correlated. 
So race as in like a uh, South Asian, yeah, exactly. Arab. Uh, w- that was not correlated with, with okay. suicide. When they put both race and religion into the algorithm. Now, again, these are both uncorrelated, but they're co- correlated with each other because every Muslim in the sample who was Arab was Muslim. So you could not be an Arab non-Muslim right, in the study. So it doesn't, not, doesn't actually mean you're double counting the population? Uh, it's... Because the I mean, person who's Muslim is also Arab, and now you're putting... It's kind of like that. It's, 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 it's double... Uh, That's a double it's calculating, essentially. Right? It's, yeah. it's saying, okay, how do I make sense out of accounting for you being Muslim and Arab when I can't say you're one or the other because you're by definition both? So what it ended up doing is saying, well, let's make Arab negative. So it means if you're Arab, you're less likely to commit suicide attempt. And if you're Muslim, you're more likely to attempt suicide. So if you add them together, it comes out to zero, essentially, right? It comes out to not really being meaningful. Okay. So... It's, it's really hard to explain because it's really like advanced mathematics, right? But um, so that's what, so, so I said, okay, you know what? Let's, let's communicate this over, right? We communicated it over, to, you know, to the authors. You know, they didn't agree with it. Um, I then uh, submitted my findings to the journal. And the journal invited me to post them as comments. And so I posted them as comments, right? And again, for me, it was about, it was just about, you know, it's academic integrity. If I found something different and I have confirmed that it was different with multiple people, I said, let me just share that because this is obviously it has a big influence on Muslims to, to, to perceive that, you know, we're at this heightened risk of attempting suicide. Um, and academically speaking, this is not something that's it's normal. When you yeah, put, yeah, you put a journal out there, people check it. Maybe someone has comments. It's yeah. not like, a, you know, you're not shooting someone down. It's just part of the academic yeah, process. Human beings make mistakes. And so it's not impo- We all make mistakes. If I, if I go back to my previous published studies, can I dig out and say that I might have made some random error here and there? Of course, right? And this is why we go through peer review to eliminate this as much as we can. Was this article right? peer reviewed before it was? Uh, this was a research letter. So it's slightly different. It's not a No, no, review. not yours. Yes, theirs. Wait, so, theirs was not a, why was I under the impression that they so, had a peer reviewed so the, the Narrative Brothers? So it's, it's reviewed, it's reviewed, but mm. it's a different type of a review. So research articles get a full proper peer review. Yes. That is gonna be much more rigorous, let's say on the statistical side, so on and so forth. This is what's called a research letter. So the way that it goes through the process is slightly different. I don't know the inner workings of exactly how it's different, but it's not the same. And even they have said that, right? So they, okay. like, have, you know, when this all came out, they said it was a research letter, right? Because, you know, that was part of the contention that, well, this is like a rigorous peer-reviewed study. And it's like, well, it's, it's, it's not exactly. So my, my point is not to, it's not to bash, you know, the researchers. It's to say, look, when a mistake <clears throat> is made, we should be able to point out those mistakes and then discuss and debate these things. And this happens in academia all the time. You know, unfortunately, in the circumstance, right? It was uh, a little less cordial than that, right, with the other side. So, yeah, I think that was the first time ever on social media that I saw like uh, mainline, main name uh, celebrity scholars or sheikhs or whatever you want to say, kind of just diverge like that. I don't think that's ever happened before. They're all you guys are always. Everyone's always like on one line. This was probably the first time where it was just like, you know, what's going on? And it was all, it was all against you. They're like, Sheikh man, like what's going on, dude? Like this is a uh, we settled this. <laughs> So, um, and by the way, just to be clear, the only reason it went to social media and not the journal alone is because had this been some obscure study that like no one knew about, which is like most studies, right? Most studies I published, you guys don't know what I published. <laughs> it just goes to a journal and academics read it. But this, because it made the rounds all over the social media, I said the correction, in my opinion, right? My, my view that it was incorrect should also go through that same process, right? And the data is publicly available and anyone can look at it. So um, we're all human beings. We have the chance to make an error. If we make an error, Right, we can we can say we can apologize for it and move on, right? And 
and clearly, right, this was it's, it's still an ongoing. Yeah, this, well, this is an example of, I mean, the, you want yeah. to make a case study of, at, why can't the sheikhs speak up or say whatever? Because the second you step out of line, I mean, you had people, yeah. they came back at you, they doubled yeah, down. Yeah, of course. I mean, people were all doubling, oh, they, we had it reviewed by three different statistical yeah. firms and they all confirmed our findings yeah. and then that got retweeted a billion times. Uh-huh. And, Which we never saw any of that. And okay. But anyway, the, the point is. <laughs> the point right. is you got to be a man. You got to say your word and just have a big backbone about it. And if you're uncomfortable with that, maybe it's because you never roughhoused as yeah. a kid. Like that's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't say that. Yeah. No, but it does go back to this fundamental thing of like, are we here? A strong man should be able to just stand up for what he believes in and deal with the consequences of that. Did I expect there to be some blowback? Of course. Did I expect it to be as vicious as it was? No. But look, man, like. Allah takes you through life experiences, right? And Allah yeah. drags his prophets through really, really tough situations as well so they can deal with what's going to hit them eventually, right? Yeah. You know, I've been pulled by the Egyptian authorities in an airport and thrown into like a cell like in the Egyptian airport. Like, that is scary, right? Getting Because that's ang- loss of life, not livelihood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, getting getting like, forget loss of life. Getting people to attack you on social media is like, okay, like I'm good, like I'm fine. Like, yeah, it bothers you like 24 hours. Like, yeah, it doesn't. no one likes to be attacked. But you wake up, I was like, I have four kids alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah you know i have a good and a wonderful wife you know who loves me like i have a good community that i live with like i could care less like you guys do what you want to do allah is just like if you do what's right right allah's not going to forsake you right and that's the attitude you have to have yes you might lose your job yes you might lose friends yet not saying there won't be consequences but the net in your life in the dunya and akhirah is always going to be positive right allah does not punish people for doing the right thing right so and I don't have followers on social media to impress anyone. I don't have, yeah, yeah, like, this, yeah. it comes back to this, right? I didn't have the I think you skin. have less than a thousand followers on Instagram. And, 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 or or uh, Twitter, I mean. And, and, by the way, I only opened this to share, like, the academic research that we like, essentially, right? It wasn't about, I have never tweeted anything personal. I, I don't use it in a, in a medium to interact with the world. It's like, here's some research that we've done here. Look at this research, right? <clears throat> but it's like, before that incident, I had, like, I don't even know, like, 150, like I literally will like retweet like a good article that like that Yaqeen publishes or somebody, like a new article I published. So who's gonna follow that type of stuff, right? Not the average person. Now I think it went up, I don't even know what it is, right? It's, yes, it's less than a thousand. I think people were kind of waiting like, what's that, what's the counterpunch? You know, like where's this gonna go? And this goes back to, again, uh, (laughs) we have to demonstrate the the Islamic conduct in these spaces, right? My, My point was simply to scientifically point out a mistake not engage with the personalities in a back and forth, right? Because and you didn't call out a person. It was not, yeah it was, yeah, it was not about calling anybody out, right? Yeah. And so, you know, rule number one I learned a long time ago is when emotions are high, you don't respond, right? Mm. So I said, just just take my time no matter what, right? You know, good, you know, advisors to me were like, you know, take your time, we'll, we'll discuss it at the right time. Work it out. And look, man, we know 40 years old, man, the social media cycle is about a couple of hours. Yeah. Like literally after a couple of days, the issue disappears, right? You know, so it's like, do I need to add fuel to a fire? It's like, let it be. Like, you know, everyone here is trying to, they're Muslim. You know, everyone is trying to do khair from their own perspective, right? You know, like, I'm not going to just, I'm not going to, exa- I have more important things to do with my life. I got my BJJ to do still. Right? I got my weights to lift. I got my kids to take care of. I don't need to waste my time with this type of stuff, right? And that's how, I mean, it's petty to go and like, let me go and back and forth and live on this keyboard. I'm not a keyboard warrior, so, you know. Maybe that's that's their jihad, right? I don't know. Like We've evolved from jihad of the pen to jihad of the keyboard. Of a you know, voice for, to text for Allah. Yeah, for Allah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, this, okay, this might seem like a strange transition, but it, it did trigger something in my mind. And I know guys have been asking me about it because we talked about this, this idea of speaking out. You're gonna, you might lose your income. <clears throat> but I had something on that topic I wanted to ask you about is do you think the new dynamics in the household are also contributing to the quote unquote emasculation of men in that it's very common today, probably the norm for our generation for the wife to also be working. And it may, with the graduation rates and whatever else, could be the case a woman makes as much, if not more, than the man. And you hear this a lot when women are trying to get married. They say, oh, these men, the feminist trope is, these men are intimidated by us and our education. And you know what? Yeah, let's just accept. I'll say, I'll say okay, we are quote unquote intimidated because I feel a man, if he doesn't contribute, if he's not like, I'm the breadwinner of this family, what does he have to offer? He can't bear children. He, he's not the better looking one of the, the family. All right. It's not like what if he's not giving and you're and you're the income owner. Like what's left? I don't have an authority. That's what I mean. The thought process. Yeah. Right. Do you think that this changing world of dual income and the woman making as much if not more is affecting the men motivation as well? I yeah, it's interesting. So at the like, there's been a lot of good articles written on this by non-Muslims who have looked at the evolving kind of uh, women's rights movements and attitudes and marriage trends. And there's no doubt that having more uh, educated, uh, uh, wealthier women is going to delay marriage, delay child rearing, and change the dynamics of a relationship. There's, that's indisputable. Now, the question is, what do we do about it? Right? Uh, I think the challenge goes back to it's, our women need to be educated. Like, I'm not advocating for brothers to go find the least educated sister you can so she's dependent on you. Right? <laughs> that is not what we're talking about, you know? Right? By the way, there are people who think that way. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, there literally are people who Most are like... Most personalities. Right? Big debates over this. <laughs> no, but the idea here is like, like why, I, want to, I want my wife to be educated, but not, it's not about having fancy college degrees. It's about understanding the world because she's going to raise children in a world that these kids need to understand. Right? The more ignorant my spouse is, right, the less she's going to raise you know, people who can yeah. deal with this next generation. Right? That's a good point right? because education doesn't necessarily mean college degrees. Nope. Because we've we nowadays a lot of people who have the highest degrees are also the dumbest. Yes, absolutely. So that's not yeah. that's not the cor- correlation. Is not exactly. <laughs> there. Yeah, especially if the degrees are in the wrong spaces, right? So you're going getting degrees, and this is why we question what is the like source of our knowledge. So fine, you have a degree in psychology, right? Or you have a degree in uh, you know Islamic studies or feminist studies or any other field that's out there, right? It's like Yuck. yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. right? So it's like. That's yuck for sure, right? You know, it's like you have a master's or PhD. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, you know, that's 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 scary, right? You know, in many ways, right? But um, not all, but vast, unless they're critiquing it and they're deconstructing it, right? But um, yeah, so it's about being wise and educated and being well read and having a good pulse on the world you live in, rather than just having lofty degrees, right? Yeah. Uh, now, women need to be socialized by their families, right? I have a twelve-year-old daughter, right? My goal is for her to be highly educated. But I'm also training her and instilling the message constantly that, inshallah, you know, if Allah wills, right, you will have a family at some point in life. And you need to know how to take care of a family. And this message, by the way, is not something which a lot of girls get because the idea is you are meant to be a doctor. So if you're putting, if this Mm. girl is growing up saying my entire purpose and my identity is in this professional space, and that's my definition of success, what happens when you get there and now like, okay, so I'm there and now raising a family is now looked like, a dim, like you're being you know, demoted. demoted essentially, right? And bluntly, a lot of the sisters who have decided, highly educated sisters who are fully competent in making a full income have said, you know what? 
I would prefer to work less or not work at all because I prefer to raise my children. And there needs to be someone who's running this household because Allah knows we can't run these houses by ourselves, right? Like, no, a man can't cook, clean, you know, do everything, raise these kids, you know, and go to, go to, and go to work. So these women who have chosen family are attacked by other women often, right? And that's also another unspoken thing where it's like, let alone if a man says it, like that's bad enough, right? But these sisters are often silently suffering where it's like, we're being pulled, we're wasting our lives. Now, if that signal is being sent all over the place, like, you know, what do you expect other than a woman to, and then you get these sentences that are out there about <coughs> like these statements. Well, you don't want to ever, it's very feminist, like in a line, uh, you never want to be reliant on a man. Right. I hear this a lot from right. men. Yes. I know guys who have daughters right now. Yes. And they're saying like, I don't want her to ever be reliant on her husband. Like, no, why? That, this, that, exactly. So it, it goes back to a system where the genders don't trust one another. Right. Like, Is that because it's like, like maybe, I don't know, like a, a girl that saw her mother being mistreated by their dad growing up and then all of a sudden, you know, she grows into that mentality. Do you think that's happening? I think there's just so many factors. So like, it's just, it's the, it's, that's the pop culture notion. That's the societal perspective on life now is that women should not be reliant on men, right? So if that's- Yeah, be a boss girl, whatever, that's what they say. Whatever it is, I mean, yeah. I, I don't want, it's not about making it negative, but even if it's about, well, you know what, you might have a wonderful man, but what if he dies, right? Or what if you get divorced, right? If any of these things happen, right? Then you're left out on the street, right? Again, because we don't have communities, right? You don't, can't go back and live with mom and dad as easily. There's not aunts and uncles. They're not this community to absorb you, right? You're a financial burden in, in the society or else. So, but that signaling, I mean, entering a relationship in terms of like, I can't rely on this guy. I don't want to trust that he's going to take care of my needs is a recipe for a, for a disaster, right? Rather than saying, you know what? I will put my full trust and reliance in this person. But guess what? I'm educated. If anything was to happen, right? I have a mechanism to fall back on and I can go back and I can get a job. Look, there's so many sisters out there who are educated, went and raised kids. After their kids, they went back to work. Their kids grew up and left college. Or... If something happened to the husband, right, they were able to then, you know, take a little bit of time, finish, you know, some school, go take a boot camp, do something else and get back into the workforce. So we now live in a world where like making money is not just about like you can find a way to make money. Right. In America, right? especially in yeah. America, especially. Right. Yeah. You there's know? a lot of ways to make money. Yeah. So I think that we have to go back to like, no, like women need men need to behave in a way, first of all. The women feel like I can trust and rely upon this person. Right? Mm -hmm. So there, it's going to be two ways. And if you're not being yeah. raised in a way that you send that signal to this woman, like, look, don't worry. Like, chill, like, have a good life, you know, live a balanced life. I will take care of the finances. You know, if you want to work because, you know, you, you, you like to work a little bit, by all means, you're welcome to. But let's agree up front. Like, what is this division of labor? And I think the problem that ends up happening is that there's a lot of, uh, we're bringing in two worlds. Like we each have our Eastern culture, we have our Western culture, and we mix and match these things. So you want the best of both worlds. The guy wants the best of both worlds. So I want the girl who's really educated, but she acts like a hundred percent Eastern wife who like sits at home and just like, you know, treats me like a king, right? And she works. Right. And she gives and me she, all her income. Well, <laughs> yes, exactly, right? And sometimes, right? you know, in, in many cases, right? And then the woman's the same way, right? She's like, wants certain, you know, Western values or Eastern values. So sit down and be like, what does this relationship look like? Like, okay, yeah. if you lived in Egypt, you know, 50 years ago, it's like you marry from your village or it's like, okay, I know what Egyptian families look like. We marry within classes, like we have certain things or Pakistan. Now it's like different race, different background, different socioeconomic status. It's like, who we fell in love with like in the MSA, right? You know, or you meet through some social media, web, you know, a dating website, uh, halal dating website, right? Whatever they're called, half Hardin, you know, plug out Babali. Hafdin, right, you know? Hafdin, plug. Hafdin, no? Yeah, they yeah he got oh. rid of the R ah, because yeah. people would always Change say their pronouns. 
half. <laughs> there you go. That's fine. You just got rid of the pronouns. Like, uh, yep. You need like a drum roll. Can you I think one of these is. Uh, I just don't know. But I'm. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, what were we saying? I forgot. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, okay uh, building Pronouns, building yeah. on this. No, no, no. Uh, how oh, is the family? Expectations. Yeah. No, 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 like, so laying this out very clearly. Like, what is the default that this marriage is going to look like? Are you going to work or you're not going to work? If you're going to work, are you? What is your role in the house? Right? Because if when we have things, kids, yeah, when we have kids, like laying some default yeah. out, and it's people change, and they will say, "I don't want to work," or "I want to work," or "I want to do this," "I want to do that." Flexibility is a part of life. But when we walk in, not speak, I do a lot of premarital counseling. That's great. Right? And, it, and I mandate it. I don't perform any marriage without premarital counseling being done. And then you ask basic questions about like, so what is your plan when it comes to working? I've literally had a guy and a girl sitting here. And I said, so are you planning on working? And she's like, yes. And the guy's like, really? That's news to me. I'm like, you guys have been talking for how many months? And this thing never came up. And so you imagine this couple goes into this relationship and what's going to happen, right? Well, I thought you were going to stay at home and take care of the kids. Well, that's what you have in your mind. Your mom did that and you had this default assumption, right? Yeah. Brothers, I mean, I think we've released like, I don't know, up to 20 episodes now. And five out of the 20, we've brought the same thing up. <laughs> Premarital counseling, sit down, talk it out. It's not the same anymore. 50 years ago, you're not marrying from the same village. You don't know what yeah. your family's looking at. You're coming in with expectations. She's coming in with expectations. Probably the families have expectations. And if this stuff is not hashed out, then, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, you're on a course for disaster, essentially. So, yep. which again, good mentoring helps with this because you'll yeah. hear these things. Alhamdulillah, I was blessed, right, in my own life to have some really good mentors yeah. who were like, Look, both men, like, you know, talk to your wife about this, talk to your wife about that, understand this, understand that. Not saying I had everything perfect, but at least I didn't walk in like ignorant. It wasn't like, you know, when my parents got married, it was like, you know, a letter came in the mail with a proposal. It was like a good family that, you know, their family knew. It's like, it's from a good family, let's get married. It's like, no, it's like, you've really got to do your due diligence to make sure that these worldviews align, right? Mm -hmm. So everyone do premarital counseling before you get married, right? Uh, Sheikh, so I want to ask you, we've, we've brought this, uh, we've talked about this offline before where, okay, so this woman, she's been told from day one, become a doctor, or whatever, and she may, she or may, may or may not achieve that goal. She goes very far in education, let's just say that much yeah. at least. And then she decides like, I want to get married and stay at home. And she does. She marries a guy and they have that expectation and that, that aligns and she gets to stay home. But then the problem is this woman, her whole life has just been focused on education, 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 and she doesn't have any hobbies of her own or she hasn't yeah. branched out or done anything. So she's at home all day, bored. And so what does that cause in the family? What have you seen or yeah, what do you yeah, suggest? Great. Spending money on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the guys do the same thing too, right? So not, not to pick on the women, right? Uh, <laughs> no, this it comes back to this phenomenon. Like our definition of education is screwed up. This is the problem, right? And yeah. Muslim parents are as guilty as any other you know, group of people to say, in my definition, education means high achievement in math and science and, and like literature, right? Like living, raising your kids. So we can, solving that problem, by the way, is very difficult. So I'm just gonna say up yeah. front, it's like you've already been channeled and developed into who you are. You don't have hobbies, right? You don't have other talents and skills. It's like, if I can't do school, I don't know what to do, right? So if you had a good, healthy social life, Right? And you know how to socialize. You know how to build friends. A lot of people don't know how to do that. It's like, well, I had a couple of friends in college. They've all gone off. I'm back to zero, right? Or I moved, I got married and I moved to a new community. I don't know how to make friends, right? Like those are real things that people struggle with. So building a social life, right? It's a skill 
that it doesn't pop out of nowhere. So if you raise your kids to know how to make friendships, maintain relationships, right? That's important. Having really good, like I said, like, do you have a sport? Every single person should have some sport that they like to play. Some people are not out for team sports. They're not cut out for it. Right? They don't have the coordination to be basketball, football, soccer players. Everyone can be either into rock climbing, right? Or into, uh, like I said, you know, parkour, right? You know, you pick something like that's individual, a martial art, you know, fencing even like, you know, it's like two people only. You find something that works for you that you have your outlet. So no matter what phase of life you're at, there's something you can always fall back to. So if, you, you're, mm -hmm. if you've developed a kid who has these things, a girl who's, who's developed these things, you know, who's, who's staying at home now, they can actually continue to exercise these things, right? Second of all, it also gives them opportunities to, opportunities to connect in other spaces. So even in the online world now, right? you know, a lot of our sisters, mashallah, their online business is going, right? You have some, something else you can bring to the picture here, right? So our girls have to learn schools. Like, not, life is not about school. Right? It's really not. Put your girls into sports. Put your girls into activities. Let them realize that, like, they're not going to be working their entire life. Even if they have kids, they're not going to be working their entire life. So what are they going to do outside of those hours? They've got to have something that, that matters to them. And it can't be TV shows and video games. I mean, video games girls don't play as much, right? But they're getting more and more into it, by the way. It's going to be more, mashallah, our gender equality, right? <laughs> Push more girls right into gaming as well, right? You know? So, and those are just some of the things. So if somebody's older and they have this problem, right, it's really about stopping back and saying, look, we're all malleable creatures. Yeah. No one, this fixed attitude of like, this is who I am, I can't change, that's nonsense. Yeah. Anybody can change in anything. It might take you more work than somebody else, right? And it's, if, you're a spouse, if you're a husband, you have to tell your spouse and encourage your spouse and build up her self-efficacy and self-esteem and say, you know what? Go take on this new challenge. You know what? Why don't you go and join a gym? You've never lifted a weight in your life. Go and join a gym. Go and get a coach here who can do stuff. And then some of these things might cost money, of course, right? But you also have to be that conduit. I mean, you're the backbone of this family, right? encourage your spouse to pick up these traits and these skills and with your love and support they're much more likely to do it rather than like i don't know i gotta work you go figure this out it's not a very encouraging way to have a, a wife be like okay let me go and dabble into things and, and find a passion of mine right yeah. yeah even if it's crocheting like literally makes a difference literally anything yeah. anything where you're socializing with yeah. the, the other gender the, go go back or the same sorry the same gender <laughs> <laughs> not the other gender <laughs> um yeah uh, Shay, so uh, you're a man of many controversial opinions. And one of them that we had in our halakha was, uh, and speaking of socializing and being with group, is you're of the opinion remote work may, may not be the best thing for guys going in the long term. Mm. I'd like to elaborate on that. Yeah, okay. This is. Wait, wait. <laughs> this, is, this is controversial. I, I am vehemently opposed. <laughs> so um, there's a lot of perspectives that we can take on this, but I think the default perspective is going to be that. Um, we as we're human beings who need other people in our lives, right? So the work environment for many people, again, depends if you're commuting 100 miles, yeah, or 75 miles yeah. in Southern California. What about a typical place if you just drive into, you know, your office, that you're interacting with other human beings, you're getting, you know, that social interaction that you might need. That's healthy for human beings. That's just part of it. The second part of it now goes into the slippery slope between the home, which is what I want to focus on. So even if, like, you say, oh, well, my work is you know, too far and it's not productive and it's toxic work environment, so I'm more productive at home. There's another dilemma which is going to become now you're navigating your relationship at home. So now if you're at home and your wife is at home all day long and you have kids, now you've got to deal with like, okay, your kids are knocking on the door all the time. Your spouse is maybe going to want some of your time, which is natural. If somebody's upstairs and you know they take a break because they go to the water cooler at work or they go to whatever it is that they do, right? Like, okay, well, I need help with this. Change this kid's diaper. Right? Oh, go drop off this kid. Okay, go pick up this kid. Okay, can you help me with lunch? 
like that begins to seep into now, like what is work and what is family life now, right? So it's like you're actually never off. There's no compartmentalization, right? So I think having some healthy separation and boundaries where you can even leave the house and rent a flex space or, you know, you have, if you're blessed financially to have like a home office that's a little bit detached where very, very clear that, look, I will come in. When I take a break, I will take a break. That's what we do at work. If I'm sitting there and I get up for the water cooler, I don't go to the water cooler when I'm in the deepest thought and I'm writing something or running some analysis. It's like, okay, I finished this task. Okay, I'm going to get up and go do this thing, right? Okay. So these type of, this, it gets very challenging because now I see brothers who say, I work from home and I watch the kids from home a lot as well, right? I don't, so, think, yeah, I don't think that could work. It's it's where you work from home on your dining table. If you don't yeah. have that set space, that's what yeah. I have. So that's why I yeah. try not to work from home. Yeah, yeah that's true. rough. That's yeah. rough, actually. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. I agree with and, you. And, and by the way, there are there are there are sadly, like brothers who will uh, um, like tell their spouses, like not Muslim, non Muslims especially, it's common to say that oh, our work opened up again because they just couldn't work at home any longer, and they're just going out of the house and they're working like in a coffee shop or something else, and their wife finds out like, no, it's not your your work is still closed, right? You know? It's like. Wow. And, right? Yeah. And it's like, it's I just, like an affair with the work. Yeah, yeah, you, know. <laughs> you left me for Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. So I think boundary and also important for you. I mean, the kids, like they have to understand, like, you know, my dad is working at this time. Right. You know, and again, the women often don't understand that this is all men in Southern California have like stress around like finances. Right. Like almost everybody. Right. Unless you're really, really, really blessed. Right. And senior in your profession. Like so like this fear, like, you know, losing productivity you know, uh, possibly, you know, uh, upsetting, you know, manager or boss, something that men take very seriously. And, you know, your kid walking in expecting you and knocking on your door, alhamdulillah, I'm very blessed to work at an organization that are like, they're a little bit more relaxed with that, right? You know, my kid will be banging on the door, right? Because, you know, my wife is busy with one kid and then one kid slips out and goes and starts banging on my door. And like, I can say, you know what, just give me a second, I gotta, you know, get my kid out or, but a lot of employers, they don't want that, right? So just caution, because if you don't have boundaries, it creates more problems than, than it solves actually right and then we, i think we're not considering our generation we made friends pre-internet pre-smartphone pre-whatever yeah. and so we have a friend group to connect with when we're off work yeah. most of america yeah. meets their friends through work that's who they hang out with after work oh, so they, oh yeah they don't have a religious space really. they don't go to religious spaces afterwards so what if they are completely remote from day one yeah who is their friend group you have a bunch of sociopaths it's, it's also bad for their career if you're young Remote work is really bad for your career because you don't get to acclimate into the skills that you need to develop and so on and so forth. You don't develop soft skills over you teams don't, absolutely calls. Not, right? It's very oh, yeah, there's, there's no soft yeah. skills in there, this next There's generation. one other element that we can talk about. It goes into my love for uncertainty that we get into, right? Which is uh, we are, this culture wants to create us to be like robotic creatures of habit. Like it's the less uncertainty and spontaneity, the better. Because right? you get to be controlled, right? You know, you work, you watch this TV show, you scroll on your phone, you do this, you do that. Being out in the world, driving to work, going to an office, you know, stopping at like a restaurant for lunch or anything else, it creates spontaneity. You interact with people. You, you <coughs> will meet people you would never would have thought about speaking to. That is good for you intellectually. It can yeah. lead to social relationships you build, right? It just, there's, it's so healthy to experience this, right? And just locking yourself in is like comfortable because most people don't want to talk to other people, right? I just kind of marvel over like when you're like, I just remember like, I just, I don't feel that old, but just like, it seemed like yesterday where you are in a store and you're in a line, you're just talking to whoever's in line. The doctor's office, right? I'm, you know, in the, at work in the in the cafe. You just chat with whoever's there. Now it's like even AirPod, you go, yeah, it's just AirPods, AirPods in, and yeah. you can't talk to anybody. Right? I was on the flight, right, recently, right, two weeks ago, San Jose and back. It's like an hour flight. You don't talk to a human being. Everybody gets in, puts on their pods, and they just fly there and they fly back, right? You know, so 
we need to actually introduce more spontaneity into our life because good things will happen typically, right? Yeah, you might meet 100 people and 99 provide no value for you. But you find one person in some way, shape or form provides some value for you, that's healthy, right? You know, just being able to talk to, that's actually like the lost art of like just being able to carry a conversation. A lot of people can't do that. It's actually, it could be a, anxiety inducing for some that they're just like they feel awkward like i don't know what to say it's and, paralyzing for people right yeah. especially because we get like we also get into our niches so it's like i can only speak about these few topics because that's yeah. why right? rather than saying i love to be in a setting where like i know very little about that topic because it fills in gaps but I also like to then be very very well read so i'm like okay you're talking about some global politics i got something to say about it some some yeah. literacy talk about psychology talk about economics talk about business talk about marketing talk about religion like whatever it is like being in that conversation is probably good for me, right? Yeah. And so the more that I'm well-read, the more comfortable I'm in that space. Yes. And if I don't know anything, I just retreat and be like, you know, I don't want to be here. We don't, we don't, our generation doesn't reach it. Yeah, I know. Which is, <laughs> we read tweets. They're too long. No, exactly. Thread's too long. Reading, bo- reading books, by the way, is a huge thing to discuss, right? It was like a huge yeah. thing when uh, like TikTok increased it from 30 seconds to a minute. You know that? Did you know that? Um, yeah, because it used to be like a 30-second video. And they're like, oh, well, no one's going to watch a minute. Like, that's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but reading books is a really... I mean, it's part of being a man as well, right? That intellectual, yeah. you know, rigor and, 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 and patience to sit with a topic. Like, you could, you're reading Boys Adrift, right? You can go and find a blog that will give you the five main points and you'll think, okay, I, I got it, right? Yeah. This is shallow, right? There's no depth, right? And yeah. this is why, you know, when people have conversations, you, it comes out quickly. It's like, you know... You read, you're, you're having this whole conversation with me based on a tweet you read. <laughs> That's your source of knowledge, right? It's like, no, like, you know, be someone who was well-read, who, who loves books, right? This is our tradition, right? Yeah. You, you find this, this seeps into Islamic conversations all yeah. the time. You're talking about someone about some Islamic thing. It may seem controversial to them. You're like, no, it's really not that crazy. And you start explaining it. Like, no, no. And they're trying to explain their counterpoint. It's like, bro, this is based on what you read on a tweet somewhere yeah. or that one khutbah. I know it. Yeah. Like, there's no other education you have on this topic. How are you arguing with me about this? Yeah. I, th- I read this thing, or not read it. I think Sheikh Hamza Yusuf said it, uh, that... You know, nowadays people write books that could be summarized into like sentences. Uh, and back in the day, people wrote sentences that have been expounded yeah. on into books. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's the, the, the breadth and the depth is, is not there in the, um, in the modern day discussion. I think there's a, there's a book that's on my shelf I have not gone through yet. It's like the, the fall of literacy or something or like the, I think you probably, it's probably on your bookshelf. <laughs> I, I don't know that name. But yeah, I, I mean, Reading is going to be part of our manliness process. It has to be, right? And by the way, this goes back to schooling. What do we ask to read in school? Lord of like, the Flies, Scarlet Letter. So I did not read a single book exactly. through high school, middle school, college. I spark noted. Yes. That was, that, I spark noted everything. Uh, but because I, uh, they're not interesting and they're not engaging. So even in the education space, it's fascinating yeah. if you actually like give people like reading tests, reading comprehension, or writing tests. If you ask them to read or write about topics you give them, that are often like terribly boring and useless, which is why you read all the you know Spark Notes and Cliff Notes, yeah, right? Yeah. But if you say go pick whatever you want to read, and talk about your comprehension, or go write about whatever you want to write about, you notice that their competencies go like for, let's say you could read it like a fourth grade level, like on what you've been given. Yeah. When you get to choose it, it'll jump up to like a sixth or seventh grade level, right? Yeah. So, like giving people space, just like read what you want to read. Yeah. Right? Which is why I'm not a big fan of like. Hey guys, everyone read this book, this book, this book, this book, right? You know, we talk about this a lot. It's like go pick a bunch of books you want to read, 
you know, you don't like the book, you put it down, but you become someone who's a person of books, right? And you jump from book to book, from topic to topic, because your interests change. There's nothing worse than I had a long day of work and I got to read this boring book that I don't read, which is what literature gave us. I took AP Lit, you know, AP Language. Yeah. It's like, you've killed the joy of reading, essentially, through I, these courses. I have right? a high school friend, he says, ever since the Scarlet Letter, I've never opened a book again. <laughs> and I think he said by it. It's like 10, 20 years on. No one in high school ever told me that to improve my writing, I have to read more. No one ever told me that yeah. until yeah. I was like an adult. I was like, what? Because I struggled with writing ever since I got to America. The best, read, right? the best writers are always the best readers. Yeah, and then time. once I started reading, I was like, oh, it's like, you know, um, it even helps you at work because as an engineer, yeah. the best engineer is actually the one who can communicate. Yep. So verbally and, um, yep. you know, written. So yeah, reading's very important. So let's talk about uncertainty and how that affects the, or the lack thereof or how we're trying to control things so, so much. Society today yeah. is all about putting as many controls in as possible so I don't have to think. I mean, yeah. the best CEO, Steve Jobs only has black shirts so he doesn't have to think about it. Puts it on and gets out the door and that's how he's so productive, right? Yeah, is, I mean, is it really that hard to pick out a Producti- shirt? <laughs> productivity hacks. It's all about productivity hacks, right? So why, why are we so averse to, to certain uncertainty and why is it actually a good thing for us to have mm. that? Yeah, exactly. Uh, why is it a good thing to have? It's because this is how the universe is, right? This, there's no other answer for that. The world that we live in is uncertain. So if you want to pretend like it's not, and we do, we do everything in our power to reduce the uncertainty and to make life predictable. So the modern world is a world that has been designed. Our jobs, I mean, you're engineers, is to make the world more predictable, right? So can I design a thermostat that can control the temperature exactly, right? Can I create a GPS device so people can know exactly what time they're going to arrive somewhere and which road to take, right? Can I, every single invention is in the purpose of making your life easier, more comfortable, and more predictable, right? Now, what if you do this? your job right, no one will even know you were there. That's the whole, <laughs> so because you just, you just yeah. go through it, right? Yeah. yeah, that's. And parents who are, again, a part of this culture, they're also trying to raise their kids in a very predictable fashion. I hear this all the time from parents. The new norm, right, is my kid has to sleep at 7 or 7.30 sharp, right? Like not 7.31, or, you know, 7.35, 7.30 sharp, right? And everything, like we talked about playing outdoors, well, that is uncertain. Who's out there? What time are you going to come home? No. Go to school from 8 to 2.30. I pick you up at 2.30. Right? I come home. I give you lunch. At 3 o'clock, we leave. We go to Kumon from 3 to 4. Right? Take you from Kumon. Right? Maybe we go to you know, some other activity from 4 to 5. We come home. We eat dinner 5 to 6. 6 to 7.30. 6 to 7, you do uh, homework. 7 to 7.30 is bedtime. 7.30, let's go out. Like, this is a lifestyle that modern America is trying to create. They're trying to make the mini CEO. I think it's a lot in the service of, first, the idea is this is good for kids. This is the belief that kids need routine. And it's true. Kids do need routine. But again, it goes from there's a general structure, right? Mm. Like here we're here. We're talking, right? Like there's some structure to this, but it's not prescripted, right? Mm-hmm. You know, even though it might seem that way because it's so smooth, mashallah, right? You know? <laughs> right? No, but like, you know, it's you allow for the free-flowing conversation within a bounded space, right? Yeah. And these parents are just like, well, again, it goes back to, Family is taking me away from other things in life for many people, right? So yeah. taking me away from my gaming, taking me away from all the, like, all the things I might want to do in life, right? So the more that I can structure my kid's life, the more that I can do the things that I want to do, right? That's a part of it as well. Get the kids to bed at 7.30 so I can go and I can hang out or I can do my thing, right? <clears throat> what this has ended yeah. up doing is we're raising kids who, and by way, our jobs are the same way, right? We have a very predictable job. We know our income. We know exactly how much we're getting on Friday at 5 p.m. Trouble. So we know exactly, you know, most people, right? Yeah. It's modern culture. Right? Very few people have... I mean, even if you're making minimum wage, you know how much you're making, right? Yeah. So very few people are like independent businessmen who are like, I might made $1,000 this week, $500 this week, right? 
Uh, and now we even you can hire somebody to you know help you so you have <laughs> very little like you know uh, variability in this right. But what this has done is it made us think an illusion that this world is so predictable and certain. So I know when I leave my house exactly when I'll arrive. Right? I know when I come back, what is gonna be happening. I know the temperature of the office. I know, the, I, know every, I can check what clothes to wear because I've checked the forecast. So you raise kids this way, and then you're shocked when something in life goes wrong, which is inevitable because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us that this world is gonna be unpredictable, right? In numerous places all over the Quran, right? You know, there's gonna be challenges, there's gonna be tests. Allah, doesn't, Allah only knows when, how much money you're gonna make, when you're gonna die, when the rain is gonna fall, right? We can go forever on this, right? You'll be tested in loss of life, in yeah. hunger, thirst, you name it. But parents, often have this illusion that I'm in control of my kid's life. So I will create this predictable life so they can live a predictable life and everyone can be comfortable and happy. This has made us very, very fragile, incredibly fragile. So what happens when the air conditioning breaks? Well, now I can't do anything because I'm so used to having perfect temperature, right? Oh, the GPS is not working. Okay, I, I have anxiety and I don't know what time I'm gonna arrive. I don't know which road to take. No, you take that road 100 times every single day, right? But you still can't do it, right? Every little decision, right, you seem so dependent on this system to make it predictable. When that doesn't happen, like, you can't handle it. So we see increases in anxiety, in depression, and all kinds of other disorders. A lot of this is correlated, we know, with people's uncertainty and tolerance is a term we throw out there, right? So the human being has on a spectrum of how much I feel comfortable around uncertainty from, like, I hate it to I'm totally okay with it, right? And the studies that I've done over the last few years, we are finding that those who do not tolerate uncertainty, who say, I don't like unpredictability, right? I, I get paralyzed, right, when things are not predictable. They are the ones at the highest risk for religious doubts often, for kind of mental health problems, right? Because they're going to be given this stuff at some point. So the pandemic hit, what do we see, right? High rate of, uh, of all these depression, things, right? yeah. suicide. All these challenges, right? I mean, I teach in the university. Like the students, they were a wreck, right? They were a wreck because you were never prepared for this world. And you compare, you go to Gaza, right? May Allah give them victory, right? What do you see with the, all they deal with is, I don't know what's gonna happen to me tomorrow. I don't know if I'm gonna have food to eat tomorrow. I don't know if I'm gonna get bombed tomorrow. Now, of course, that's not, that's the other extreme, but they're so resilient to whatever might happen, right? It's okay, something is broken, I have the message is not there, I'll still go pray there. Here, the air conditioning's not working, I'm not praying in the masjid, right? Remember last Ramadan, like one night in the masjid, thermostat wasn't working well. And it was like 79 degrees instead of being like the 72 that the thermostat is set, is set to. All these musallis are constantly complaining, right? So introducing unpredictability and stressors into our kids' lives and our own lives makes yeah. us stronger, right? I give that analogy all the time with the gym, right? Like you cannot become strong if you don't stress your muscles out. You got to load up those weights somehow, some way, put enough pressure on it so your muscles actually grow. If we put no pressure in these kids' lives, but no challenges, <clears throat> nothing unpredictable to cope with, right? When that unpredictability comes, the challenge comes, they fall apart. So take your kids camping. We right? need this for the parents first, honestly. Uh, of course, <laughs> I know that. The, like, if you... <laughs> I know that, yeah. But the funny thing is a lot of the parents had this. You speak to parents who came from like the, you know, the other part of the world who were not privileged, right? They immigrated here, they had to work hard, they struggled. I mean, they moved from a, like, a foreign land before the age of the internet. Like how much more unpredictable could how'd they get? Yeah, they got how they get right? around. Yeah, like you know, they, they come find with a couple, They came by two hundred dollars in their pocket. You, know, you hear these stories all the time, right? But somehow they acclimated quickly and were like, the gold standard is to be a predictable life. So we 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 don't want our kids to experience that. Not realizing that what we experienced actually made us stronger in many ways, right? So now our kids are incredibly fragile. So every little setback, 
right? Every little thing that doesn't go right, right, is a source of, of catastrophe. Oh, um, you tell a kid, okay, I need to change plans, right? It's like, oh no, like I'm so used to this. Or I hear from parents, if my kid doesn't go to bed at the time, he's grumpy. I said, yes, because it's so predictable for him that he can't, there's no wiggle room, right? If there's a window, you know what? The kid should be okay. Once in a while, let your kid stay up late. Once in a while. Once in a while, wake up your kid early. Once in a while, let him sleep in. Why? So that way, when you don't control it, he goes to bed an hour late, he still functions tomorrow just fine. He has to get up an hour early, he still functions at that time. But when you curate this life, where no, wake up at eight o'clock, go to bed at 7.30, what happens and he can't do that? That's it. Well, I couldn't function today because uh, my mom woke me up 30 minutes early. I can't function today because I went to bed an hour late, right? That's, talk, that's the definition of fragility, right? So, I mean, we could talk for hours on this, but the, we need to introduce, like strategically, all right, I'm gonna turn off the air conditioning today. Why? I can run it. I want my body and my mind to be able to just tolerate that which I didn't love and I didn't expect, right? My kids are gonna walk in the home, it's warm today. All right. Can I ask you something controversial? You said a lot of controversial. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Do you need to ask that? No. The pedophile thing already went beyond well, this is a, um, have there, this has been like on social media for a few years now and it's like there's an uptick in it and and i'm not like advocating for this but have you heard at all of you know people that do these like breathing exercises have you like meditation stuff not meditation you're just just that like they physically like go through that like you breathe in and now you hold it like you're doing yeah, these yeah, yeah. mindfulness related stuff it's not necessarily for no. mindfulness but like you know wim hof the, the, uh, yeah, I, the yeah, yeah. yeah yeah okay you know what I mean? Yeah. And then it's like the whole thing is you introduce anxiety into your system. Interesting, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, because you build up the carbon yep. dioxide. And okay. What do you think of that? So I don't know about that particular technique to speak about it, but yes, I actually like the general idea of introducing distress into different dimensions of your life to build up tolerance for it. So I do that with cold showers personally. Right? Okay. I noticed that I was a person who was very like, if the water wasn't the right temperature, like I, I wasn't comfortable. Mm. I wasn't happy in the shower, I wasn't happy making wudu, so I'll run the hot water, wait for like two minutes, then I'll make wudu at the right temperature. And I was like, this is not good, right? I, I shouldn't have this. So I started looking into it and I was like, there's health benefits, but for me more it was about me tolerating that which I don't like yeah. and getting comfortable with distress. So I started going in, to reduce the temperature, get comfortable, reduce the temperature. I, I kid you not, now when I make wudu, you know, at five o'clock in the morning, the water is ice cold. It doesn't, I don't flinch. It's not like, it's cold, okay, but I'm okay. It's like, I don't even feel cold anymore, right? So you actually are able to conquer these. I mean, look, what do they do in the NBA? Right, Steph Curry and these guys, they put on these VR goggles that's lights blinking everywhere, flashing sounds, this and that, and they're jacking up hundreds and hundreds of threes. They're introducing chaos, so that way when there's 20,000 fans that are yelling and screaming, that they have no problem. They can literally close their eyes, they can shoot and switch a three-pointer, right? That's what we're talking about. That, and this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is offering us when he gives us these challenges. People say, you know what? Why is Allah testing me? And you know, these tests in life and these stressors in life, they're, they're, just, they're just there to test our sabr. I think that's a very limited perspective on this. No, that's part of it is Allah's not testing your sabr, he's trying to build up your sabr, right? Yeah. It's a very different perspective. Like you will deal with things in life you need to get ready for. So out of Allah's love and his wisdom, he's saying, let me introduce this into your life now. And if you shield yourself from them and your parents do their best to eliminate them, it actually goes against the fitrah, it goes against the sunnah of Allah in the universe, and you're gonna raise kids who don't thrive actually, right? Yeah. So it's like, no, like there's a reason for that. So yeah, I'm being dragged through this tough situation for a reason. And that's why that model goes back. If you're a man and you're learning from, from other men about, I see how to interpret these things. 
whole new perspective. Ah, I need that to be stronger. I need that to have perspective. I need that to build patience. I gotta learn how to control my anger here. All these things, these are all part of this master plan Allah has made for us. I'm gonna go with the flow. Rather than resist because, <coughs> you know, mom told me that we gotta cut out and every single possible stressor needs to be eliminated from my life, right? You know, it's interesting, that's actually related. He, he speaks about one of the factors unmotivating uh, boys is if they know, if boys particularly, if they know the outcome, they won't care to try. So yeah. if I'm in class and they're only going to reward number one student, yep. they get the gold star, or the reward ceremony or whatever. He's like, I'm number 10. I'm not the, I'm not the flunker, but I'm number 10. I'm not going to try. Yep. Why, why should I even try? I'm not going to get number one. So if I already know the outcome, I already know I'm not going to get it. Not worth it to me. There's no, if there's not inner competition where I can just help each other out, it's just not worth my time. So they know a lot of boys won't even try because of that lack of motivation. So if everything's rigid, if I know the outcome of everything, a guy is almost like, I don't care. I'm, it's going to yeah. create apathy in a boy. Um, but the other thing you mentioned that I think is worth uh, actually speaking more on is you talked about this fragility. So I still remember, I think it was uh, in the class of parenting, same author, Dr. Leonard Sachs. He spoke of, to, so in the past, you had a kid who was being raised by like three different generations. Grandma, grandpa, yeah. great uncle, great, and your parents, and the, even your nephews and the nieces. Yeah, everybody around you, every age. And so... You, like, for example, if a kid gets testy with his mom, he's like, mom, I hate you. I don't want to talk to you anymore. He runs to his room. You know, dinner time's going to come out. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah, like, I shouldn't have done that, whatever else. And, and the, the relationship mends because they understand like when you have all these different generations around, you can see how relationships work out and you know how to deal with things or to know that you can bounce back. But nowadays, your friend group is only your age. Mm. So what's happening is you're getting these fragile children. Why are they fragile? Well, if I'm texting my friend, I say something bad. And they, inter- they read the tone incorrectly, right? Like the Keen Peel skit. And they just start going back and forth, back and forth on each other. And then you can get your friends like, you're not your friend anymore. You go to school the next day, like, yeah, we got beef. I don't want to talk to them anymore, whatever. And that's it. That's the end of that relationship. So for them, all relationships become very fragile. Mm. So then their whole personality becomes fragile. So that's how you, so we've lost not having those different generations to yeah. deal with and the different levels of respect and to understand how to interact. Because we've lost that, we become more fragile, more apathetic. <laughs> yeah, I would re I, I agree fully. And I would bound it a little bit more by saying it's not just about intergenerational, it's even within your generation. So your parents. So like, you know, typically like if you have children, like many Muslim community, we usually have brothers and sisters, right? We usually not only children. So you have your kids have aunts and uncles. But in today's world, we have a lot again, we wanna yeah. bound it. I wanna speak to my kids this way. Mom you tell your parents, right? You know, grandma and grandma. Speak to my son this way and that way. No, 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 don't say that to my kid, right? Don't say that to my kid. You tell your brothers and your sisters, right? This is how we raise our child. So make sure you raise our child the way we want you to raise our child. That creates the same fragility because now this child is not being exposed to different ways of interacting with people. You need to have tough love sometimes. Maybe there's that uncle that gives you tough love, right? Maybe there's grandma that talks to you in a certain different way. And yes, you're not, the point is not to say that they're all wonderful ways of speaking to this kid. In fact, some of them might not be very, very good ways of speaking to the kid, right? But who cares? Right? But who cares? Because why? There's something bigger than your kid in this world, yeah. right? He has to learn how to deal with a world where he's going to speak to all kinds of people. You think he's not going to meet belligerent people who are going to go and say terrible things to him? He's going to have a terrible right. boss one day. Right. He might yeah. have to deal with him. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, and then he's on social media. He's going to have terrible interactions. Yeah, so I think it's so important for people to step back and say, I am not the only source of terbiyah in my kid's life. And I, I don't have this master roadmap that is so foolproof that this kid is going to turn out perfectly if everyone just listened to me, right? It's funny because a lot of people who say that are the ones who themselves have gone through so much like in their own lives, right? It's like you don't have the blueprint to say that like already that you know what worked well. And now you're coming out with your, you know, your baggage that you have and saying, I want to fix 
the whole world. So just accept that there's a having family involved is always better than not having family involved. Unless they're like some you know drug dealers in your family and you know <laughs> pimps and so like, you have those calls. We can talk about cutting these people out, right? If you have any sort of normal human beings in your family, let them interact with your kid. Like let your brother discipline your son. Let your sister you know, talk to your kids in a way that maybe you or your wife don't speak to your kid. So they grow up and they see there's 10 models of communicating with people. I don't care who I interact with. I, I can see how you speak. I know how to deal with that. Okay, you're a little bit rough around the edges. I can stand, I can deal with that, right? You're a little bit soft in this regard. Okay, I know how to deal with that, right? So that fragility, yes, grandma, grandpa, generationally, but it's also laterally, right? Your friends, can your friends talk to your kids? Or like, I know, man, I, like, Sometimes I just zip it because I know like, you know, you say anything and you're going to get feedback from people saying, don't talk to my kid this way, right? Mm. It's like, you're, you know, so now we police our friends and how they can speak to our children, right? So, Oh, yeah, that's like a, uh, I heard this story that uh, this, this, you know, person's raising their children and they're, they told their mother, you have to ask my kid before you could hug them. Yeah, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. This is because of like, uh, you have to ask for consent. consent yeah. The grandma has to ask consent of the grandchild. I hope the grandma pulled out her backhand or something like that. <laughs> Switchblade. <laughs> you know where I'm from? <laughs> the cuts. Like, this, is, this is like the peak of, like, of, of arrogance in somebody, right? Like you, Nobody knows how to raise this child except for me, right? Yeah. So. I still remember growing up. I mean, my mom, she was the one who would yell at any, any kid. She yelled at all of them. Equal, all of them equally. <laughs> so you did something wrong. I'm if you're at my house as a kid and you did something wrong, my mom would come over. You idiot, get out of here. What are you doing? Not the idiot part, but she's like, "What yeah, are you yeah. doing? Oh, guys, be quiet. Oh, your voices, this, that. Stop being so roughhousing." And she leave the room, and we're like, "All right, well, let's go back to our playing our games and not be so crazy." Well, yeah, like you, you used to have like aunties in the masjid yeah. who would like you know tell the girls to do whatever. But nowadays, like, oh, she's toxic. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I, was, I was unmasked because she I told me. I was unmasked. Something. You know, it's like, oh, okay, come eat your break. You weren't even in the mosque in the first place. See, I heard the, the Honestly, it's just like an overall lack of being comfortable, like just confrontation yeah. in the Muslim community. And like, I feel like as a Muslim living here, like you're- It's everybody. You're, I'm telling you, don't make it a Muslim community thing. It is the norm in the culture that we're a part of now. No, that is yeah. true, but- I think like within your Islam, there's just to be a Muslim means nowadays you have to have confrontation in you. It's hard to wake yeah. up and pray Fajr. It's hard to lower your gaze. It's hard to find the halal food and eat healthy. It's hard to make halal money, right? How easy is it to just go get a loan and build yeah, this yeah. business and flip this real estate? It's not hard. You can do it, right? But so it's constantly, you're constantly battling to do the right thing. Why is it all of a sudden if someone speaks to you the wrong way, you're like, oh, I can't believe it. You know, this toxic red flag. You know, they send the red flag emoji. We, we are a generation that loves to complain. And we complain about things we're not even involved in. It's my favorite part. Like the masjid, when I hear my generation complain about the masjid, I'm like, none of us even go. <laughs> what are you guys complaining way, about? There's a reason for this. And the reason goes back to we don't want confrontation. So if someone, if we're sitting together talking and Amr starts to complain about something, he's my friend. I want to validate and I want to reinforce what he's saying. Rather than saying, stop complaining, Amr, you don't even go to the masjid. Right? What are you complaining about? Or I mean, push back sometimes. Yeah. And this is what like a real friend would do: is give him perspective. You yeah. know what? You got the wrong perspective on this, right? And if there's that tight knit bond, I'm not gonna like, all right, bro, I'm gonna cancel you because you disagree with me, right? <laughs> right? But that's kind of where we're at. So, the, social media only makes that worse because everything is about reinforcing constantly, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, so confront your friends on things. <laughs> you know, yeah, wrong I heard with it. I heard the funniest complaint story. There, there's a group. I won't, I won't mention the organization because it's irrelevant. But uh, these girls were asking the sheikh, like, you know, why can't women like read Quran when they're on their period? 
And he's explaining the fiqh of it and whatever. And he's like, okay, look, like hypothetically, there's some opinions that say you can read it anyway, so you can do that. And here's some workarounds. You can say you're a student of knowledge, so you're just studying the Quran. Like, you can read it. Like, but then he was like, but I don't get it. Like, but why wouldn't God want us to come to his word or study it? So this is the best answer he could have given. He said, look, guys, let's be honest. Who of us are reading the Quran every single day that this is even an issue? It's like, when we start reading every day and you need to have this problem still, come talk to me. But until then, none of this is not an issue. Like, this is like the epitome of us complaining about Muslim things and it doesn't matter because it doesn't even apply to you. But it goes back to, again, not having serious issues in our life to actually try to solve, right? You know, yes. It's like if there's like real issues that we got to work through, these things are not going to be important. And I speak again to go back to the African-American community. They're like, they're like, bro, you immigrants got doubts that we never think about. Like we don't even care about, you know, this random hadith that like, you know, doesn't jive with like your worldview. He's like, you got, you know, petty issues, right? Because yeah. you got nothing else. You know, you're living in suburbia, right? You're complaining about every little thing. Like this is, this is a curse of, of privilege, right? And something we, we actually have to talk about. Be like, why do we complain about super, like things that have no value, right? Like there's like major crises that we ignore, right? Because we don't want to get into the real weeds, right? Let's just sit together and complain about things that are kind of cool to complain about, right? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. cool to be a victim, right? Yeah. We brought this up oh, yeah, in a previous yeah. podcast. Like, you're a Muslim here, you live in relative comfort, relative safety, while people yeah. are getting bombed, and all of a sudden you're, you're oppressed, you have anxiety, you yeah. have depression, uh, this hadith is bothering you, and you're losing your iman, uh, the, you're getting unmasked. Like, you just Which, make by the list, way, right? it goes back into <clears throat> if you hang out and you're in bed with the left, they've they're the kings of the victim culture. Yes. So everybody has to carry a victim identity with them, right? Yeah. So I was actually talking to, I remember one of the vice provost of diversity at UCI or something like that, right? And this, this whole conversation came up where it was like, he's like, oh, we want to start like having students like report like their microaggressions and blah, blah, blah to see like kind of how much stuff is happening on campus. And I told him something, I said, listen. Microaggressions. Yeah, right. He wanted to kind of document it, right? And I said, listen, I said, what you are doing and what our culture is doing is we're arming a generation of youth with language to point out every negative thing that happens in society, right? Everything we can talk about. This is toxic. This is racist. This is a microaggression, right? And I don't even know. There's so many other terms. I'm too old to know all the new terms. Like oh, gaslighting. Yeah. I, was, I had to look up gaslighting a little while ago. I'm like, what, what does this term mean, right? You know? That's what your wife so, says to you. <laughs> <laughs> Not my wife. Alhamdulillah. She's reading. She's uh, listening. Not my wife either. Come on, bro. Just put people on blast here. That's, right. That's really wife. controversial. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like, what we don't realize this, is that language is huge, right? So when you've given people 20 words to criticize, and to, but, and I told this to the guy, I said, why don't you actually do the opposite? Why don't you ask people, I, said, I made up a term on the spot, I was like, why don't you ask them to report micro acts of kindness, right? Why don't you have them to report when someone smiled at you didn't expect it? Someone opened the door for you, right? So we've actually skewed our perception of reality is that we're walking around the world looking for who's sliding me. Oh, she didn't say salam to me, right? He didn't smile at me when he saw me, right? Oh, you yeah, know? that was a big Like, thing, you know, yeah. all this, oh, he gave me, like I said, he didn't make eye contact with me, right? Whatever, maybe, oh, that, he must be Islamophobic, right? This, it's like, dude, there's people who just walk around having a bad day, right? So they, don't, they don't care, they're not processing that, you know, you're a brown guy with a beard or you're a girl with a hijab. It's just, I'm having a bad, or I'm a grumpy guy, right? Like, so we need to, like, this is what, like, change your vocabulary. Like, we're taught to see the world through a lens of optimism, taught to have hasnadun towards people, right? But this woke culture is about su'adun, right? It's everything is, Negative. And it's not your fault. There's never any agency in you. It's if only the powers were on top, we could change them. We'd solve all these problems. So I told this to that dean, right? He was African-American. I was like, listen, I said, <clears throat> the problems that African-Americans are facing in America today, will they be solved in the, in the lives of the people who are living right now? He's like, no, of course not, right? 
I said, so equip them with things that they can, they can at least function, right? They have agency. Because if you say it's all about the external entity, you're gonna sit there and complain until you die and your problems will never have been solved. And your mental health is gonna get worse and worse and worse because, well, I lived my whole life to change the system, I didn't change, right? So you know, I'm gonna change the way that I see the world, right? I'm not gonna have a negative perception on every single thing, right? So, I mean, so changing language is huge. And then from a Muslim perspective, it's huge as well, right? Yeah, that's why you're supposed to recite Quran. You recite it and then it changes your internal yeah. internal state. If you keep, part of this woke thing is they they literally chant some of these slogans. Like they literally yeah. say it, like say it, say it, repeat yeah, yeah, it, yeah, repeat it after me, chant it, you know, say their name or whatever. And it's like, okay, it's yeah. like a, a religion, right? No, so, but saying word, like saying Alhamdulillah, like that's a very powerful term that we don't use. I mean, we do a lot of this just like kind of out of the script. Right? But if mm-hmm. you actually like use these terminology, like SubhanAllah, Alhamdulillah, MashaAllah properly, like it actually, it, everything's shaped in a positive light, right? Yeah. Right? I mean, you even say it when bad things happen, right? right? Yeah. We say Alhamdulillah, right? Because something bad happened, but Allah has a will that, that we, or a wisdom we didn't understand. I praise Him for what, he's, uh, what, what He has done, right? Yeah, of right? course. Of so, course. Yeah. I mean, so I'll, I'll give a, how about I give a nice positive story? Maybe, maybe I don't know if you have time later, but. Yeah, probably. So instead of instead of an unmasked story, let me tell you my mosqued story. <laughs> Your mosqued story. Yeah, yeah. So I was in I was in the masjid as a I'll praise him too, Garden Grove Masjid. Uh, I was there for a khutbah or something with my son. I don't bring him often, but I was uh, paternity leave. So he's sitting there. He's and he's bored as a kid. Whatever. We get we can finally get to the prayer part, and he's sitting in front of me. He's like rolling over and you know doing weird three and a half year old stuff. And he's like almost rolling over some guy's glasses. Even I was like, oh god, please, like just stop doing this like weird stuff. <laughs> so anyway, the prayer finishes. Same I said, and so pick up bad. I was like, all right, no, next time, just kind of like sit sit far enough ahead so you're not rolling over people's stuff. Uh, and there's a nice guy, the guy next to me took up his glasses, he didn't say anything. Anyway, so I'm walking out, and then that guy next to me comes up to me. He's like, oh, brother, I just want to say, your son, he's a wonderful, he looks beautiful, this, that, mashallah. But I just wanted to say, and I was like, oh, God, the butt. But I wanted to say, <laughs> like, raise him right or tell him to sit in the back or something. It's like, I just want to, he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out $20 in cash. I just want to give this, give this to your son. He's such a good boy, mashallah. Go buy him something nice. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't hear those stories. So I just yeah, wanted to, which we need to share more. I mean, the whole news media is not about sharing positive things. It doesn't generate. I got, I got my younger one diapers. You can get it. <laughs> <laughs> He got food on the table, baby. Oh he has enough toys, man. He's, he's fine. He's fine. He's got enough toys to last him two lifetimes. He'll be fine. <laughs> that's all another. That's all another podcast. Yeah, like what, exactly. what to get kids yeah. toys as, man. Stop getting them stuffed animals. Stop getting them things that make noises. Parent, if you get your, if you get someone, if you get a parent, a toy that makes noises. Let me tell you something. They're making dry against you when you're gone. That thing's making the same noise a month later. <laughs> Just I feel like people do that on purpose. They, they, you know, they don't like you. No, you get invited. I hear you though. <laughs> Make sure daddy's gonna love you yeah, when you like use the this. toy piano. I'm like, dude, he's three years old. He's playing the toy piano. He's gonna play the pre-recorded song over and over and over again. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I just when they see the box and it says developmentally appropriate, yeah. like all this stuff, like, oh, okay, I want to get him a, a toy. It makes him smarter, right? Get him blocks, Legos. Tiles, anything that's just like, yeah. you can build it, you can fall apart, you build it again and fall apart, that's what you get them. Make them creative, they learn language skills, sim- symbolism, all those things, through that. Everything else is useless. Get them a membership to the BJJ gym. <laughs> something. How, how young do you have to be? What's the youngest? Oh, they start at three years old. Three years really? old? Really? Oh, I mean, yeah, he's already really rolling around in the masjid. You can roll with yeah. the... I'll throw him in BJJ. He's too, he's too fragile. Raised by Palestinians. That's I the know. point. Gotta... Get them in and they'll, they'll toughen up. Wait, what? Palestinians are tough, man. I don't know, man. They're coddled by their mothers. Oh, boy. <laughs>
This might be the last episode. This is yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the last episode on the podcast. Actually, start putting out the ad for a new, new co-host. Okay. He's my, my half Palestinian son. I accept him. Oh wow. Okay. Well, Munir, I'm sure. I hope you learned a lot to raise a <laughs> less coddled uh, son. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. But listen, man. I, uh, my my thing I'll end with is like, if, if we start like just a few of us, and we like the thing is, you need to have some model in the community be like. Here's children born and raised here who are doing it right, right. That will breed, I think, a whole lot more of this, right? So, you know, we try to practice what we preach, right? Do our best with our kids. We ask Allah to give us the fiqhness, right? Um, I mean, you know, we take them through these experiences, right? We do everything <coughs> the opposite, right, of what this culture tells us to do with our kids, right? And there's so many, I mean, we should seek out those people. I mean, there are wonderful people. Like, I mean, I know wonderful brothers who have raised solid men, teenagers who are 16, 17, 18 years old. Solid in deen, solid in dunya, physical fitness skills, like social skills, and and find them, talk to them. Be like, hey, what what you do with your kid, right? If right. you know them, connect us. We'll bring them on. Yeah, no, I will. I'll, you I'll know, that's that's like, what'd you do? How'd you raise your kid? Like, that's a yeah. Well, it's counterculture, right? It's all building countercultures. What they're all going to tell you, right? So you talked about this. Right? No, it, exactly. But sometimes yeah. you you need that person who, yeah. who took it from the theory and yep. then the, the applicability, right? Like the date, you know, we talked about observed uh, uh, yeah. responses and all that yeah. stuff. We just need that sometimes. But I'll tell you just from myself, when I put my daughter, right, in, in Taekwondo years ago, she's black in Taekwondo. She's been doing jiu-jitsu for years. She's very confident. 12-year-old self-defense. I have no problem, right? Uh, it's like, it's all theoretical to people until you see the child and you see a confrontation and you see how they deal with it. Or you see that that child can literally regulate on all the other kids in the, in the group. So that seeing is believing, right? People are like, yeah. okay, you know what? Okay, maybe I need to do this right. Yeah. Right. And the martial arts is not just about like beating people up or no, self-defense. No, no, no. It's it's actually it's the discipline. discipline. It's, all, it's yeah. the discipline. The patience. Yep. You know, you got to work through a form for weeks, for years until you get it right. Yep. You may be getting beat on by the, the person who's a higher belt until you... Yeah, it breaks your ego. breaks right? your ego, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like the coming of age. Actually, I'm gonna add one more thing before I, yeah, yeah. Uh, before we sign off. I, my old, I had an old boss when I worked in private sector. He he was one of the partners in the company, and he was the only one who seemed like he was really religious. He, he was like very very Christian, and uh, he had five children, and his wife homeschooled. This was before I knew what was going on in schools. He just told me one day, I was like, oh, I homeschool all my kids. I was like, why? He's like, oh, you know, when you have kids, you'll know why, right? <laughs> And he does this thing where like every, like mashallah has a lot of sons. When his son hits three, he takes them on this like spiritual camping trip where it's just him and his son. And then they do these activities outdoors nice. and he spends like, you know, the weekend with them and they come back. And now as he's gone through the kids, it seems like the kids now know that like once your three-year-old brother mm. goes through the trip, that's kind of like, you know, He's your bro now. That's right? awesome, oh, man. you went with dad, right? How was it? You know, the youngest one is yep. like telling the younger one, oh, you're going to go on this trip. Da, 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 da. So I don't that's remember amazing. if it was three or four or five, but like no, that was kind amazing. of his progression, this, this right? Is all this is like rites of passage we're speaking about, right? For yeah. whatever phase of life yeah. you're at, right? So no, I guess I'm behind this guy. I just took my son. He's six years old. He got his first backpack for backpacking. So like, yeah, it was him. probably six. I don't remember uh, if it was three or six. No, no, whatever it is. The, yeah. the point is that it's a clear signal, right? It's a signal mm -hmm. to everybody. This is what we do. Exactly. And this means this. Yeah. You know, you come back. Not a little boy now. You're old. <laughs> you're, you're a big yeah, boy. Right? Big boy yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think I think more of that in our community is great. Having these, you know, camping trips. You know, uh, find out who's doing because there is an outdoorsy person in your local community. Link with them up. Get the person who is really good at managing things. Start something together, right? 
that's why those weekend camping trips are very important yeah. for the guys when they go yeah. and they hang out with the guys all weekend long yeah. roughly even if there's a there's bathrooms there like just being outdoors all day long yeah. archery and whatever the muslim things do that's great and if you rough it it's not a big deal if it's not a big deal you know get get uncomfortable get dirty get muddy it's it's uh it's in your it's in, in your, your nature it's your yeah. fitra yeah so yeah and also actually you get you start to enjoy it the beginning it's uncomfortable oh yeah but then you realize that this is how life is meant to be lived right. and my wife and i just moved and like you know i'm hanging things or fixing things and like i was getting sweaty and tired and i was like i hate this and then a few hours in, i was like you know what it's not too bad. I feel like a man. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. You're like power tools, you're doing stuff. You're like, oh, you got to figure things out. You know, can't just hire a handyman for everything. Like, yeah. He's got that much cash, right? I mean, so. It's important. Actually, my son sees me putting up all this stuff, right? So every time he sees me pull out the drill, he goes to get his toy drill set. Every single day, like, Baba, what do I, what do I screw? I was like, oh, there God, I have to give him something, right? Because otherwise, he's like in my face, like in between, like, oh, let me help you, Baba. I'm like, I need you. Over yeah, we, here. Don't, we don't <laughs> want to learn on his toy phone. Like, yeah. I, I need to build something. Task grab it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, they'll emulate it. you they'll see it exactly they'll see it like i would probably wouldn't do this stuff if i wasn't every weekend my dad to the backyard new project another sprinkler head broke oh we're gonna take down this tree we're gonna do this if friends sleep over oh jad's over he can help us outside I'm like no <laughs> yeah, nowadays you can't do that because <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a backyard in irvine that's why that's true oh, okay <laughs> that's why uh, for your time I mean there's many more topics to broach with you in the future inshallah I hope to have yeah. you back if you enjoyed it it's a pleasure Jazakallah yeah. khair Jazakallah khair Sheikh for joining us and uh, this is Amr Mabrook from the Prophetic Mentality Podcast signing off Assalamu alaikum Assalamu alaikum